For more than a decade, Saturdays and Illegal Curve have been synonymous with one another. With insight, analysis, and interviews regarding the Winnipeg Jets, the Manitoba Moose, and all around the NHL, here are Dave Manouk, Ezra Ginsberg, and your host, Drew Mandel. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. I apologize to Dave Manouk. I interrupted him to start the show. Dave, would you like to finish your thought about the new Netflix hit, uh, Jewish Matchmaking? Yeah, Drew, I thought you were excellent in it. (laughs) Thank you very much. So that's uh, what was going on behind the scenes this morning on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. That and, of course, a nice visit from Ezzy's children. So things are off to a roaring start this morning. You guys are my share. I thought made some good points. I thought they were articulated, uh, Ezzy. They had some good insight into the Leafs collapse and where the Jets uh, need to go. So I thought your kids really brought their A game uh, to the pre-show this morning. I agree. Ruben's take on the Leafs Panthers series was was bang on. They, I mean, the Leafs needed to get more pucks on the net. They needed to score more goals, right? That's essentially what happened uh, in that game, right? So, yeah, I think we'll bring Ruben back on yeah. to uh, to tell us what he thinks the Jets should do in the off season, and then maybe you know Ariel will come down uh, a little bit later and break down the Ice Thunderbird series. His analysis is definitely going to be better than Dave M's, who was actually in the building. <laughs> <laughs> no question about it. With that nonsense out of the way, we say good morning, Winnipeg. Good morning, Manitoba. And for all those joining us live this morning on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms, we say good morning, universe, and welcome to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. With Dave Manuk, with Ezra Ginsberg, I'm your host, Drew Mandel, here for the next couple of hours, here to talk about the Winnipeg Jets, their offseason, some of the key moves Facing the team, we'll touch on the Moose end of season. Dave M has been rolling out those interviews, just dribs and drabs of them, building the anticipation all week long with his great Moose coverage. And of course, the Winnipeg Ice victorious last night by the uh, by their the skin on the, their chinny chin chin after taking a three nothing lead in the game. They held on to beat the Thunderbirds three two. Dave M will tell us what was going on there as well. We say a good morning, gentlemen. It's nice to see you both on this Saturday morning. What's up, boys? I guess Dave's a little camera shy right now, but... No, uh, I, I, was, I wasn't sure. Usually you go first, Des. You know, okay, it's okay. You, you can plus, also go first, but plus yeah. Spence, can... Plus Spence, he says he wants to be matched up with a nice little Jewish boy. I thought I thought that was a natural segue for you. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not even going to And then he said, oops, one. I meant large and hairy, not cute and little. <laughs> Spence I, and I, I have would, to still get together here. You know, you've heard of the movie Dinner with Andre? Dinner with Ezzy, I think, uh, featuring Spency and Ezzy on a date. I think every, who wouldn't watch that? I think I'll video it. I'll that. video. I'll be yeah. there for a long time. Yeah, we video. might let some cameras in, but yeah, boys, yeah, what's going on? Uh, yeah, it's a little bit quiet when it comes to the, the Jets news, but it's definitely not quiet in, in the hockey world. Dave Emmel, I'm sure, give his uh, take on the, the game last night. Looked like a nice little crowd at Canada Life Center. And that was the right decision, right? Because they only announced that what was it on, on Monday or Tuesday that, that games one and two are going to be played there and why not take advantage, right, Dave? Like there's, there's nothing else happening at Canada Life Center. And I mean, this is it, right? This is the WHL final, a ticket to the Memorial Cup is on the line, right? And as Drew mentioned, the ice get, get the first win. But yeah, when you're talking about the Leafs and Panthers guys, I mean, I know we're going to focus on the Jets here today, but uh, Jesse Pollock's coming up in about 25 minutes and you know the the timing is fortuitous as they say mm-hmm. uh because i don't know if you guys saw jesse um oh know, yeah he wasn't he wasn't uh, <laughs> afraid to let leafs fans know uh about their chant after round one so what a goal by nick cousins uh but uh yeah definitely uh, another season of disappointment 
in Toronto Maple Leafs land. You know, more than the goal. Sorry, Dave, but I don't know if you saw it last night. Did you see it was it was on Twitter is floating around. I'm not going to talk about the Leafs, but you know what I'm going to talk about, Dave. I think Radko Gudas screaming in the face of the Maple Leafs goaltender after scoring. It, I mean, and with, I mean, as he, he's got a beard that of course puts your beard to shame and he is a big, tall, violent man when he needs to be uh, sometimes illegally. So, and you know, Justin Hall is not the world's largest goaltender, but he looked even smaller. Joseph Wall. That, sorry, Joseph Wall. Joseph uh, Wall and Justin Hall might be the same person, Drew. So uh, I think you're excused. Thank you. You knew what I meant, but uh, it was a it was a hell of a uh, you know a, a photograph, and we've been publishing the great photographs that Colby Spence and all of our photographers have been taking all year long uh, on our Instagram, and it just goes to show you you know sometimes you don't see things when you're watching the game that it takes a still photograph to really show you, and that was one of those you know Pulitzer Prize winning photographs as he's screaming in exuberance, and then in the background you see Leafs fans like this and. Yeah. in dismay and he's just over the over the top screaming at the at the Leafs goaltender well I mean it, it is somewhat relevant to, I know before people accuse us of having a Leafs lunch sort of yeah. Leafs morning uh, Leafs well. brunch I should say uh it is relevant because it because the Leafs were eliminated in Florida advance the Jets draft pick went from 19 to 18 Woo. so it, it is relevant yes. for Jets uh fans in that it was a uh it is a a boost in terms of that. So uh, Paul Maurice doing one final solid for Jets Nation, giving them a uh, a want, uh, an increase of one in terms of drafting. So that is, it was irrelevant. That's yeah. why we can bring it into the, we can bring it back to Jets Landrew in that, like I said, on illegalcurve.com, the Jets now will be drafting 18th overall, which is where they've drafted, of course, before. Uh, well, technically they had the 22nd pick in 2016, as he, they moved up in Buffalo to go to get the Logan Stanley at 18. That was a trade they made with the Philadelphia Flyers. And then uh, they had the 18th overall pick in 2021, although it was technically 17 because, of course, um, the Coyotes were uh, punished and lost their first-round pick. So the Jets were technically 18th, but actually made the 17th overall selection. So uh, Jets have some history. At- Chaz, and that's where they took Chaz Lucius, of course. That's right. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. So, so there's, there's some history relevant. there. Yeah, so I, I would say it was a, a good news, bad news week sort of for the Winnipeg Jets. I mean, not a lot happening as we're sort of in that lull after the uh, after the season ends. And, you know, most of the teams that have been eliminated at this point, unless they had made the wholesale changes to their front office and are now announcing new, uh, new structures like they did in Philadelphia uh, earlier this week. And we'll touch on that uh, later on in the show. Not a lot of news out of the Jets. I guess the good news, the good piece of news, of course, is, a, is for Connor Hellebuck as he's named a, a Vesna Trophy finalist uh, for, what, I think the third time in the last five yeah. years, if that, if I'm not mistaken. So that certainly is a, a, a boon in his cap and just a further acknowledgement of how important he is to the Winnipeg Jets. I've seen a lot of people. Poor UC of, Soros, by the way, boys. Well, I like, was going to say, yeah. Like, yeah. I mean, Ilya Sorokin and Linus Allmark are mm-hmm. unbelievable goaltenders. And yeah. I, I think it's going to be really fascinating to see who wins this because – Unlike in previous some previous years, right? Like I don't think you would say that Hellebuck or Allmark is the runaway favorite, right? Like right. I, I would probably give it to Hellebuck to be honest with you. But uh, what what a season for UC Soros, right? Like he almost single handedly keeps them in the playoff race, right, Dave? Mm-hmm. And he isn't even a finalist. And obviously, you know, 
who, who who really cares about these awards at the end of the day but i just thought like a lot of people expected soros to be at least be a finalist yeah i think there was, there was i'm some... getting my guess would be he'd be the fourth guy who finished on the ballot would be my and after, they, after the yeah. nhl awards they'll come out and it'll be interesting to see how close it actually was and everything else because yeah. uh uc Soros certainly kept uh the the uh predators afloat uh for so long after the trade deadline so that's the good news for for connor hellebuck and time will tell if he ends up winning his second vesna trophy or not I don't expect him to win, but again, like like you said, Ezzy, it's not something we're going to rip our I hair. expect Allmark to win, but I think no. Hellebuck probably should win, but we you know guys that... Re- do you read anything into the fact that all three Vesna Trophy finalists didn't make it out of the first round? It, no. It, no. It's a regular season award. It's it definitely a it's regular season playoffs. award. But, I mean, does it just sort of further exemplify how the playoffs are a different animal, especially as yes. it pertains to goaltending? Absolutely. And, 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 I mean, Jesse Pollock put this out on Twitter. Um, it wasn't yesterday. It was more, I think it was last week, about the goaltenders left, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you look at Carolina, Freddie Anderson, the Devils with Akira Schmid. And obviously the Devils I'm not are gonna... out, Desi. The Devils no, are I know, out. I know. I don't I know if think... you knew, but the Devils are... Dave, did you hear the Devils are out? I did hear that. Okay, I just want to make sure that Ezzy knows that the Devils are out because I'm not 100% sure if he's aware that the Devils are out. I deserve that. I'll take that. I mean, I, I can I can take it just like I would be dishing that out to you if yeah, we were talking I, about your favorite team, but you're right. I mean, but look, Wildcats. The, the, the Hur- exactly. The Hurricanes are an amazing team, and I, I, I did – I can pat myself on the back here. Mm-hmm. It's not the Stanley Cup final, but I did pick the Hurricanes to go to the Stanley Cup final. I wasn't alone. Dave did as well, and many others. I mean – when you consider, you know, no Max Pacioretty, no Andrei yeah, Svechnikov. I mean, Rod Brindamore is the best coach in, in the league, in my opinion. I and the Hurricanes, that's what they do. The Carolina Hurricanes, they do well in the playoffs year after year, right? But to Drew's point about the goaltending, um, look no further than the Panthers' Leaf series that ended yesterday, right, guys? Like, Joseph Wall was not who you expected to be in net for Game 5. You thought it would be Ilya Samsonov. And I think Wall was really impressive. He looks like he's the, you know, a, a part of the future in goal for the Leafs, Dave, but look no further than Wall and Bobrovsky, right? Mm-hmm. Like, Sergei Bobrovsky had a very average, if not below average, regular season, um, and he's come in, and, you know, Alex Lyon was the starting goaltender for the Panthers in round one, and Bobrovsky has really been the story. In addition to, you know, Matthew Kachuk and, and Sam Bennett and Carter Verhage, the, the names go on and on. The Panthers are an impressive team. This team won the President's Trophy last year. Like, this team isn't a flash in the pan. Um, mm-hmm. But, yeah, I think, to your point, Drew, the three Vezina finalists all be being knocked out in the first round just shows you how this year is is definitely not the year of the goaltender um, in terms of the the goalies that had success in the regular season and then translating that into the playoffs. Yeah, the only good, the only goaltender left in the playoffs that you would really say is a you know a grade A quality goaltender that sort it's of Ottinger. jumps to mind is Ottinger in Dallas. Yeah. Everybody else, I mean, right. you look at what, you know, Lauren Prasois goes out injured in, in, in Vegas. And so now that's, I mean, Vegas used five goalies. So I mean, right. they're not a exactly. good, you know, so, Caroline is the same. Yeah. You know, it's, it's got it's, Grubauer in, in Seattle. Yeah. And then so. Edmonton is, is, you know, flipping back and forth between Campbell and Skinner. So it is sort yeah. of a, a bizarre year uh, when it comes to the playoff teams and their, and their goaltending situation. And uh, Ottinger so, hasn't exactly been, you know, stellar i mean ottinger's been good but he's he like just in terms of like he's been very up and yeah like we've talked about it right like you've been seeing a lot of three and four goal Mm -hmm. deficits right so i I think ottinger's been good but it's really uh, to me the story of that series has been dallas's offense right led by rupe hints and and joe pavelski and then the resurgent jamie ben right so even jake ottinger who you would i would agree with you drew 
definitely a top 10 NHL goalie. Mm-hmm. Um, he hasn't been stealing a lot of games. I, I admit I haven't been watching a ton of that series, but I don't think he's stolen really any games in that series. No, no, but I mean, exactly right. As Dave said, the, the games haven't, lar- you know, by and large, most of the games in the second round have been, you know, blowouts. They've either, either been, you know, really close overtime games or they've been mm-hmm. large margin of of, of defeats. Uh, so it's been a bizarre second round, but, you know, we don't need to get, uh, we'll get more into it as we go on the show. I was so, we talked about Hellebuck as the good news story of the week, and that's not really going to change anything aside from get Hellebuck even more money when he hits UFA status a year from now. Uh, and, and that's obviously going to be a, a huge topic of conversation this summer and, and ongoing and his future here in Winnipeg, if it's a long-term one or if it's short-term one but then there was the news that Dave M really brought to the forefront not that uh, some other people in the media gave him the respect and the credit that he deserved but uh, Leon Gavonke a guy that had a great year for the Manitoba Moose Dave and you mm-hmm. can speak to it because you watched him more than anyone else did uh, mm-hmm. in the city of Winnipeg signs a four-year contract uh, to go home and play in the German Elite League now yeah. you know I mean what was your level of surprise, I would say, regarding this? Because this is a guy that people sort of saw his numbers this year. They saw steady improvement. Granted, he's on the older side of being a prospect. Yep. But, you know, to sort of wave the white flag on your NHL career uh, was, to me, a little bit of a surprising decision. Yeah, I, I really thought the next decision, the next, um, when we talked to him on Monday... And obviously he didn't get, it's not like he said, Hey Dave, just so, just so you're aware uh, this is going to be taking place. I honestly thought the next bit of news with him was that he'd be joining Germany. I asked him about that. He said nothing. It wasn't official yet, but. Um, at the so world be, hockey championship. Yeah, at the world is, championship. Is what Dave is talking yeah. about. Yeah. yeah. He's yeah, not, I guess, he's, I, not jo- I guess, he's not joining Germany as a nation. Yeah. He's already German. He's, yeah, he's joining already, the he's, German parliament is, is what yes, it is. He's giving yes. up on his hockey career and he's now yeah. running for, uh, whatever the, uh, what's it called? The prime minister. Chancellor. Or, cha- I don't think it's, cha- is it chancellor? Well, well there's chancellor. a chancellor. Yeah. yeah. Chancellor yeah. Angela Merkel, or she okay, used to yes, be the chancellor. Used to be, right. used to be. Anyways, the point is that, that I was anticipating that that would be the next bit of news with respect that he'd be going to to Latvia or Finland to uh, take place in the world championship with the, with team Germany. And yeah, you're right, Drew. It was a little bit of a surprise to to see that report and have it confirmed that he's going to Adler Mannheim for four years. He did it. Look, he passed through waivers. He's a 2017 draft pick uh, on the right side. Jets don't, of course, have a ton of depth that's ready to make that jump. Simon Mm -hmm. Lundmark just finished his, the 2019 second rounder. He just finished his second full season here in North America. You got Tyrell Bauer, the 2021 sixth rounder, as he, the right side. You know, but that's kind of that's, and then you've got the the next the next. That sounds realm. right, by the way. I'd have to yeah. uh, double check, but I'm pretty sure. Yeah, he was drafted two years ago. Yeah, and then you've got obviously Dimitri Kuzman, who's coming in the third rounder from 2021, I think. So you know, he's coming from playing with the, in the OHL with the Flint Firebirds, but again, those are all very young guys. So if you needed to make a recall on that right side, you know, Leon Gmonke to me would have been Bauer, the next guy. Bauer was 2020, just. Oh, 2020. To, okay. So to do a little yeah, housekeeping. Yeah, exactly. So I, you don't look, do any housekeeping at your own house. Why are you yes. doing housekeeping here? Anyway, so the, the point is that it was, a, it was definitely a bit of a surprise to see that he made the decision. I thought the, the organization made a mistake. I've been vocal about this. I think that in game 82 of the season, when the moose were, I don't remember where the moose were, if they were even in action at that point, but I thought the Jets they were on the called. road, weren't they? At yeah. The end they, of the year, they, the moose were on the road, right? Yeah. Yeah. Oh, that's right. Because they made a recall from, from the road trip. That's right. They were ended, I think in, uh, 
Um, they were they started in Texas and then ended in like Rockford and Chicago. The end of the season in Chicago. But but the point is that I thought they could have recalled Gavonke, given him one NHL game. I thought that was a mistake by them. Uh, they've done that before with guys. Brandon Kitchen comes to mind in 15-16. Uh, and they were on that California road trip. And Paul Maurice played like Mark Stewart in the last game of the season. And then Kitchen. It was crazy because the, the Moose flew home, or the Jets flew home, sorry, that morning after being eliminated from California. So they arrived like 4 in the morning. And Kitchen played the Moose game that afternoon, but you could just, the impact it has on these guys when you don't give them that little bit of a, a reward for being a good soldier, I think was, was, yeah. And in my mind, it was a mistake with Leon because he's been a good soldier and he produced this year. He scored 20 goals for your organization at the AHL level. Is his defense great? No, his defense isn't great. But I, I, again, I think you want to see what he can do at the NHL level. It's a meaningless game to me. So, and you had the room to make a recall. You had the numbers to make a recall. You recall the guy, you play him in one game. You give him that sort of incentive. He goes into the playoffs for the Moose, does whatever he does, goes home, trains hard for the summer. To me, I just think it's a bit of a mistake in the sense that you just, you're not rewarding the guys who are good soldiers in your organization. And to me, like to play Neil Pionk so he could play 82 games is, is stupid. It's meaningless. And not only that, it's, it's kind of a stupid risk because the reality is if he gets hurt in that game against Colorado, you now have a guy who's injured in a meaningless game, so you could arbitrarily play him in 82 games. Same with Brendan Dillon. So I'm just saying that I personally would have pulled one of those guys out. I would have put Gavonke in. You get him his first NHL game, and then you've got a guy who's got a little confidence going into the summer versus something be, being versus feeling like I'm never getting my shot after setting the moose record for most goals by a blue liner. And that's a moose record for the 1.0 moose or the 2.0 moose. You know, I, I I agree with you about giving him the shot. I mean, I, I think there's no downside to it. I was surprised the Jets played as many regulars as they did in that game in, in Colorado at the end of the year. Uh, so I don't have an argument with you there. I do think, though, that the writing was pro- – that this has probably been in the works. I mean, I don't think this this just sort of happened, this signing a four-year deal in, in Germany just sort of happened between the end of the Moose season and, well, been, uh, at, and no. the exit interviews. No, so that's I think fair, this but, has probably but, been – you know, the, the he was heading down this path probably for well, a number I think of they, weeks or months at this point. I think they were soliciting him. I don't know that he necessarily was – I don't think he right. was like, okay, as soon as my Moose season's over, I'm signing this deal – I believe that, yeah, I think that they were, uh, from my understanding, I, and as he, we're not going to start covering the DEL here on a legal <laughs> curve, but, but you might, but yeah, maybe never say never. <laughs> but I think that my understanding for Adler Mannheim is that this is kind of their MO is that when they have a down year, they go out and get, uh, you know, try and get a big signing. And, and of course, you know, a Berlin born player getting him over there to play in their organization, especially after the season he just had. I think that's kind of, they've been on trying to sign him. I, I Again, I, I don't know that authoritatively, but just from what I've seen, it appears to be something they've been actively pursuing. So yeah, I mean, I think it's in his, in his mind. But again, like to me, it's curious because I really believe that he would have been an, a, an option next year, you know, to make, force him to make a decision. And even if, even if he comes to North America, comes back to Winnipeg, sorry, does training camp and gets put on waivers, he's not getting through waivers. He's getting claimed. Some team is going to give him a shot. So he would have at least gotten an NHL. That, that's why, to me, I don't understand why he wouldn't have got it. He was an Arbor FA with arbitration rights. I don't know why you don't just get out a one more year deal and then say, okay, now I'm going to go back because, you know, you're making, I mean, he was making 125 at the AHL level. So you'd make a little bit more money next year. And again, you get your shot either within this organization or another one as, 
And then if it, if it doesn't happen, if you actually pass your waivers, so you give it one more shot and then, because you probably most likely would have been able to get in the lineup. I think next year. There's a few things here. Drew is absolutely right when he says that, you know, Adler Mannheim didn't just, you know, a week ago decide, I think let's sign Leon Gavanke, right? Like that, <laughs> that's not how this works. No. And yeah. you're right, Dave, when you talk about, you know, he probably should have been given that game, regardless if the Jets knew that he was going to go and, and play with, with uh, uh, Adler Mannheim. But I think the bigger picture here, guys, is jets prospect development and asset management right here like this is to me is is the bigger issue here in a year in which you lost michael essimont uh on waivers <clears throat> and then he goes and he obviously ends up in tampa and signs uh, i forget if it was a one or two year deal but the it was a two year deal there you go and good for mikey essimont right cuz drew mentions you know gavanke is an older prospect so is michael essimont but that doesn't i mean that happens all the time guys like just because first off you know <clears throat> To call a guy old at 24 or 25 years old is really funny to me, right? Because, I mean, in the grand scheme of things, that's not old at all. Guys just develop differently. Look at a guy like Brandon Tanev, right? Like Brandon Tanev didn't establish himself as an NHLer until, what, 23, 24? And then look mm -hmm. at him right now. Like, I mean, he's still thriving, right? So I think, you know, in a year in which not only did you lose Essimont, but you lost Johnny Kovacevic on the on the fourth uh, on the a third pairing guy or a seventh or eighth defenseman, whatever you want to call him, to the Montreal Canadiens, right? So obviously Leon Gavanke is replaceable, Dave. Yeah, but I think the the reason why it's curious and maybe troubles some people, Jets fans, namely, is that you you had a player who was on the rise. That's the thing here. We we could sit here all day, and I obviously you know can't you know analyze a prospect. I, I, especially considering I haven't watched Gavanke as much as Dave has, but I mean, the Jets, Jets uh, development staff, those are the ones that, you know, ultimately make these decisions. But, you know, Dave mentioned it 20 goals in the AHL. I mean, that's, that's not easy to do. Like that's impressive. Mm -hmm. So Gavanke might not have been a top six defenseman for the Jets, but the point is he gives them an option there on mm -hmm. the right side. Like that's depth. That's a, that's a, a you know, a stable of prospects that you have that if you have an injury, right? Like if somebody on the second or third pair gets injured, maybe Gavanke is a guy that you call up and he gets an opportunity. So none of us are, are sitting here saying that, you know, Gavanke was going to win the Norris trophy. That's not what anybody's saying, but we're saying that you had a pretty good young, and I use the, you know, the term young, uh, you know, realizing that he's 24 years old, but that's the point. And then you essentially lost him for nothing. Like so, yeah. so you spent all of this time developing him in the American two, hockey league. And then he goes, he goes that. to Germany. So, that's the third player this year, a third prospect, if you want to call Michael Essimon a prospect, because he was. I mean, the Moose signed him on a pro contract, but he was a prospect. Uh, also, so he lost Axel three Johnson, players for nothing. Also, Axel Janssen Fialbi became, became a group six uh, UFA because of the the playing time issue. Well, the and Janssen Fialbi, and Dave and I talked about this uh, a few weeks ago mm -hmm. um, when Dave posted. And yeah, give Dave credit. I mean, Dave is the one that's, that's breaking this news here. I don't think a lot of other people before Dave knew that Axel Janssen Fialbi could have been an RFA if he played one more game. But Janssen Fialbi, to me, I think he was making seven hundred thousand, if I'm not mistaken, at the NHL level. Yeah, I mean, I'm I'm perfectly fine. Seven fifty, but if, yeah, yeah, seven fifty. If Axel Janssen Fialbi, let's say he gets a raise to eight fifty or something or nine hundred, it doesn't matter. The point is that I would have no problem if Janssen Fialbi is kind of your quote unquote 13th, 14th forward, right? And and that was a, a role that was played by Dominic Tony Nato a couple of years ago. And I think Dave would agree now that Tony Nato signed that two-year deal. I mean, you could be looking at the next Moose captain here, right? So I, I think that when you're talking about Janssen Fialbi or Leon Gavanke or Estimont, whoever, Kovacevic, it's, I, I think 
the, the situation was mishandled a little bit because you, again, Janssen Fiabi is a guy 25 years old. Let's not, you know, kid ourselves. He's not going to be a top six forward. He's never going to score 25 or 30 goals at the NHL level, but this is a guy that I think has like a usefulness on this team. He can be a fourth line guy, give you energy. What did he have? Six goals this year with the jets, something like that. Like, I, yeah, I think four, four to six, somewhere in that. Yeah, range. something like that. And and again, he's replaceable, but I don't think that's the point here. I think the point is that you would have just had a player. There you go. Oh, yeah, six it. goals. That's not bad. I mean, six goals in what, 50 games or something for the Jets? So exactly. 50 games on the other yeah. nose. Yeah. So, I mean, it's just, uh, again, I don't think, you know, Gavanke is a guy that you're going to lose sleep over if you're Kevin Shovel day off. But I, I just think that this came a little bit out of left field because, as Dave said, that was your top prospect on the right side. Well, that, that's really where your issue is. You look at the Jets' depth, and you talked about some of the players that they've drafted, the defensemen. Well, th- these guys aren't ready to be NHL players if the if push comes to shove, if the need comes to be. They are, there is not a lot of organizational depth on that right side. And, you know, sure, you can go out and you can acquire some free agents, but most of the free agents that the Jets, you know, are acquiring are not guys who are necessarily going to be regulars. I mean, that's just sort of the reality of of a lot of the guys who sign here is you're sort of, you know, uh, hoping a prayer for a lot of them that they can turn into something more than what they already are. But, you you know, if injuries happen, and they always do, you just don't have a ton of depth on the right side. Now, there's not a ton of depth on the right side for most teams on the back end in the league. So that's sort of a bit of the saving grace. I think that's the, if you're, unless the only exception to that, I believe, is the Los Angeles Kings, who have a aren't all their, are, are, I was going to say, aren't all their D uh, right, guy, right, right shot guys? And that's why everyone's sort of looking at them as a team, you know, to watch this offseason because they have this glut of right side defensemen. Yeah, Brad that, Clark is one of those guys. Right. That, that a lot of players, that a lot of teams who are in the need of right side D would be mm-hmm. interested in acquiring. But, you know, so. I, you know, I just think it's the. No, I have to believe that the that is isn't ignorance on the Jets' part that they know the roster status and the contractual status of all these guys. I certainly assume and they hope do. That's they the do. Case. They do. They they absolutely do. I mean, right. No, nobody, nobody's going. Oh, I didn't realize that Eric Comrie needed ninety more minutes, or right. you know that actually Anson Bielby needed one more game right. to be to be retained. I mean, look. And and the fact of the matter is, you can always sign these guys after the fact, and you it's not could. as if That's a true. guy gets a guy has lost. You don't get the chance to look. They could have re-signed Eric Comrie. They could have re-signed actually. They can re-sign actually Anson Fielby. So it's it's ultimately it's not so much those aren't the ones that you're super concerned about. Mm-hmm. Eric Comrie different than actually Anson Fielby. The actually Anson Fielby one doesn't really bother you, but right. Yeah, it's as as he just said. You've put the time, the effort, and the money into drafting these guys, and to me again, like I said, organization. Look, the NHL is a reward you know, for hard work and, and, and sometimes it's need sometimes, again, like I said, sometimes they don't have a choice, but this organization ultimately drew, I think what you're getting at, and we can talk about it obviously later, but I think the organization has to realize like, listen, guys, we have decisions to make because next year now you have Declan Chisholm, who's no longer waiver exempt, who was an AHL all-star mm-hmm. is as probably on par with Billy Hainola. And I got to tell everyone, if you didn't watch the Billy Hainola end of season press, or you should, because he was excellent, and it was uh, it really spoke to. Where can I know we'll talk about it. it. Legalcurve.com. Legalcurve.com. What about that big anyway. body check in the corner? I forget what, if that was game three or or game four, yeah. Dave. You clipped it. it. Luke, I love that hit. Yeah, yeah. He he smoked Luke Evangelista like killed him. Uh, he, Luke Evangelista became Linda Evangelista after that one because uh, was what was her name? Was it was that was that was that her name? That wasn't that the lady the the actress 
Yeah, Linda Evangelista. Yeah, okay, she's good. an actress. Right. Yeah, you got all that right. one right. All right, all right. I want to make I sure. I was thinking Linda accurate. Ronstadt. Yeah, no, she's a singer. Yeah, that's completely different. But okay, uh, anyway. also a good effort on your part, Desi. Anyway, so the point is that none of us are yeah. going to be on Jeopardy anytime soon. No. Yeah, there you go. Let, Anyways, let's head to break. Let's head to break. When we come back, Jesse Polk is going to join us for more Jets talk. We're talking about the Jets. We're talking about the playoffs. It's a Saturday morning. You're live with the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We're on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. Bottom of hour number one. Welcome back to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsburg, and our good friend from TSN's Bar Down, Jesse Pollock, joins there us on is. the program now. Jesse, how are you, brother? Good to see you. I'm glad you made it out alive last night. Uh, you know, how close have you ever come to getting hit? Uh, last night actually came pretty close to getting hit. Okay, uh, <laughs> tell the story. Tell the story. Uh, uh, first of all, fellas, thank you for having me. I'm feeling absolutely. It's our pleasure. I'm feeling, you know what? Okay, I love the ads, by the way. The Raleigh's, <laughs> what is it? Raleigh's transfers? Yeah, Raleigh's what? moving. As he's getting crushed by a piano, he's been crushed by that piano for a while now. Oh, my I God, really I think Doctor Doctor Les Rikus was my best work. That's just my own personal opinion, but Raleigh's <laughs> was also very good. They're both. They're they're all great. Uh, I'm honestly feeling great this morning. Couldn't be better, actually, that the Leafs are out. Oh, they're salty fans. Deserved it. They deserved to lose last night. And uh, yeah, last night I was leaving and here's an example of one. I didn't even do anything. This guy just, I guess, watches bar down and knows what I do, obviously. And he was upset and started saying some really, using some really bad language towards me. And he started getting off my face and security had to get involved and people were filming it. And, you know, I got the nicest compliment last night, guys. I obviously had to go out with some friends last night and celebrate the Leafs losing. <laughs> and And this guy came up to me. I think he was like, he's like 23. And he said, man, I just want to let you know, honestly, as a Leafs fan, you are, you might be the greatest troll in hockey. <laughs> and I was like, thank you. Thank you. It's the little things in life, right? You're getting that kind of acknowledgement. Very important. Uh, I'm sure that it was. Uh, but that's yeah, music people, to Jesse's ears, right? Like, say, yeah. That's what, I, I mean, people appreciate what you're doing. I mean, it's all, it's all fun. Like, that's the thing, right? Like. You do yeah, it in a way that's not offensive to anybody. And obviously people take it way too seriously. Uh, and obviously we love it because we're Winnipeggers and, and we know you, right? Um, but yeah, I love it. As uh, That's the thing. Like you can, you should never take it to a level where it gets physical or you start insulting someone or anything like that, right? Like you yeah. standing there saying that, you know, we want Florida. I mean, was just, yeah, it was amazing. And I kept thinking <laughs> after Nick Cousins scored that goal, I'm like, thank God that we have Jesse on the show tomorrow. Like the timing could not be better. Oh I'll, yeah. Man. I'll be honest. I'm surprised that nobody's hit you yet. I mean, I, I mean, you know, people lose their minds when it comes to sports. Especially, I mean, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that you've seen the video. There was the Rangers fan who uh, punched the Devils uh, spirit squad guy a couple times. I mean, people lose their 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 minds, especially when somebody who's doing it, uh, you know, right in their face. So, I mean, the fact yes, that he can handle himself though, and you can't oh, touch him. Look. He's like he's like Floyd Mayweather, Drew. You can't get he'll just he'll juke and jive. Like you can't touch him. I, I readily funny. acknowledge that Jesse's a big boy and, 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 you know, the, the hours in the gym have paid off, but still that doesn't mean somebody with a little bit of liquid courage doesn't, uh, doesn't uh, decide to call their shot every now and then for better or worse. You, you know what? I got to give, I got to give a shout out to the Leafs fans. Cause as much as I can't stand them and really the ones who are the worst are the ones who just hide behind a, a keyboard and of they, oh, all these people say to me, I dare you to come to Maple Leaf Square. See what happens to you. I show up next time. People are asking to take photos. We're having fun. It's, it's, it's all in good fun. Like I really do love, it's a love hate relationship with Leafs fans. 
it's a hate relationship with them on Twitter. It's a love relationship when I see them in person. Although the guy last night was a, it's kind of rare. I, I don't know. I just, uh, it's so funny. Someone commenting, that, someone commenting that I need a posse. If you guys want to, if you guys want to come down to <laughs> come down this road over the next playoff run, maybe you guys will be my posse. Just like somehow, somehow yeah. I would suggest you get a better and more intimidating posse than than uh, <laughs> than us. I'm just going to throw that out there. Uh, Jesse, the obviously- brothers, Jesse, you've got two big brothers. They they yeah. they'll they'll take yeah. care of you. They'll there be you the posse. Yeah. Uh, obviously, I mean that was all fun and games last night. But the focus of us and the focus, and, you know, I know your passion, of course, for the Winnipeg Jets. So, you know, a disappointing end to the year, a controversial end to the media availabilities, and all the noise surrounding this team. From your perspective, where does this team go from here at this point? Is it time for? I mean, the rebuild is off the table. They've said such. So how does this team, given all that was said after game five against Vegas, given all that's been said between the players and the coach and the management, how does this team get back on track, my good friend? It's such a great loaded question. And I think that there are so many different things to take into consideration. Uh First of all, I obviously need to point out I'm not a player and I'm not a manager. So it's so hard. Like, I guess I'll just give my perspective as a fan. Uh, if I were the manager, I would say we probably should blow it up. We probably should trade all of our players, uh, start fresh. We've got some good prospects built around them going forward. We've shown that I don't know if this core is necessarily good enough to take it to the next step. I, I, I'd like to think they are, but they haven't shown that they are. And all the players keep saying, Oh, I don't want, you know, I want to run it back. We're good enough. We're good enough. Well, it's like, you guys got to show Chevy and everyone that we should be running it back. And, you know, obviously some bad injuries this year, we could have put up a better fight against Vegas, but they haven't really shown why we shouldn't blow it up necessarily. And like on one hand, it makes sense to blow it up. On the other, we do have a great core and maybe Chevy just says, screw it. I need to go all out and I need to just, I'm going to do it. And, and this could be my last year with the jets. And I'm just going to, I'm going to trade prospects. I'm going to make the best possible roster and see how far we can go with this team because the core seems to think that they can do it. So, and it's also just weird. Cause like on one hand we could blow it up, but on the other, you have the front, the organization, obviously sending out that message, which everyone was kind of like, what's going on here right. saying we, we need ticket sales. We need people coming in the seats. And especially to send something out like that now, how are the Jets expected to do a rebuild and risk having even less people in the seats watching games when they are saying we need people in the stands? So it's like, I feel like for a while, the Jets have kind of had one foot in and one foot out. We're always kind of competitive, but we're not mortgage, we're not you know, mortgaging our future too much because we want to stay competitive so we can have fans continuing come to, to continue coming to our games. So I think Kevin Shovel-Dayoff has the hardest job obviously goes without saying in the league. So many players don't want to come to Winnipeg. He, I'm sure he's being told different things, how to manage it. I, I would imagine that like, it's not just him making all the decisions and it's tough. I mean, if I'm Chevy at this point, if, if, if I'm Chevy for his own sake, I'm making a lot of moves this summer and I'm just going for it all in. If I'm not rebuilding. Cause it's like, Oh my God, imagine if we are, we have the same situation that happened this year and then we don't get anything for any of our players. What a disaster. 
I think you make a lot of good points, Jesse. And and the guy that I want to focus in on, I, I mentioned you earlier. I'm not sure you would remember because you tweeted it, but um, I think it was last week. It might have been, you know, a few days ago, but all, all the days, as you know, sometimes they seem like they're one day, right? But you were mentioning the goalies that are left, right? And the best example is the series that we just talked about with the Leafs and the Panthers, right? Joseph Wall is not who you expected to be in a must-win game five for the Leafs, right? Same thing with Sergei Bobrovsky. Obviously, with the Spencer Knight situation, uh, Alex Lyon was starting in, in game one in the first round, and then Bobrovsky obviously took over. But whether it's, you know, Akira Schmid with the Devils, who obviously, you know, Vitek Vanacek was your number one goalie in round one against the, the Rangers, and then Schmid took over. Everybody knows what happened there. Um, but then, you know, whether it's Freddie Anderson, whether, whether it's Kochetkov, whether you want to talk about Philip Grubauer, who obviously didn't have, you know, the best year last year with the Kraken. Like, obviously, you know where I'm going with this. Like, I mean, the goaltenders, um, is that a rabbit there? Or what is that? <laughs> no, no, it's not a rabbit. It's, it's my girlfriend's dog. I'm sorry. I'm totally... <laughs> no, no, we need to, we, we welcome all animals on this show. What's, we need to know more about the dog. This is Harley. I'm so sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt you. There. No, 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 it's all good. I just wasn't. I just saw Jesse. I just saw ears there. I wasn't sure like what was going on. If that was a chinchilla, I just, I, I just, need, I just needed to know there. But um, the question I was going to ask you though, in relation to the goaltenders that are left in round two uh, and Connor Hellebuck, right? Because you're hearing this, you're seeing this, like you mentioned, like you're talking to Jets fans all the time. I mean, you're, you're on social media a lot. You know, people are talking a lot about Hellebuck. The Devils were one team that people were throwing out there in terms of, you know, possibly being interested in Hellebuck. You hear the Red Wings. But the point I'm trying to make is with what's happened with, you know, goal scoring being up and basically teams going with multiple goaltenders in the first two rounds of the playoffs, does that change your, I guess, your view on what Chevy could do with Hellebuck? Because I obviously trading Connor Hellebuck, you're, you're, you know, arguably your MVP, yeah, a guy who's you know been nominated for the Vesna three times in the last five years. You don't just trade Hellebuck, um, you know, on a whim. I mean, that's a, a big decision. But I guess going back to what I said, do you, has that changed your opinion on whether or not the Jets might move Hellebuck this offseason with what's going on in the landscape of, of goaltending here in the playoffs? I think it's a great question, and it abs- it absolutely has. Like, I, I love Helly, but I think. Changes are coming to the Jets that he's not going to want to deal with. And it almost seems like this marriage is coming to an end. And I feel like the Jets also have some good goalies in the pipeline. Like, we are we could find another goalie who's going to be good for us. Like, I just feel like it's going to happen. And it sucks to say that about Helly, obviously nominated for the Vesna, But – and he's the guy that, like, you obviously want to build around. I, I, I think if you can keep a guy like – Helly, it's great, but if we lose him and we can get a great value for him, and if the team is heading in a, in a direction, okay, Harley, come on. If the team is heading, <laughs> get comfortable here, come on. If the team is heading in a direction where maybe it's not going to be as competitive, you know, we have Mark Scheifele's contract coming to an end, Blake Wheeler's contract coming to an end. Who knows what's going to happen with Pierre Luc Dubois? Like the writing's kind of on the wall that there are changes happening with the Jets. We're we're, usher, we're going to be ushering in like a new chapter. I just don't really see how. It, wanting to stick around for that and and it has changed my opinion because harley come on jesus sorry guys <laughs> it's all good saturday jesus. morning you're watching yeah. the illegal you're watching the illegal curve <laughs> hockey show jesse pollock from tsn's bar down there harley the dog joining harley, us on the show harley the Iggy. do about the jets the playoffs everything Har- under the sun harley harley the Iggy. she's an italian greyhound but no yeah as t- like, yes, I, I do think that it's changed that. And I think that we could get a ton of value for Hellebuck. And there are some teams with really solid cores 
that are coming, some are coming to an end, some are just going, that could really use a Hellebuck. Like, I mean, obviously the, the main one is the Pittsburgh Penguins. How about the Ottawa Senators? They're a team that could really use a guy like Hellebuck. So, the value, what I'm saying yeah. the value might be worth the, the value in a trade might be worth more than than keeping them around at this point. Hellebuck's value is never oh, going to yeah. be higher, Drew. Never. It, it'll oh sorry, it'll it'll never be higher. And and it's so hard like even fathoming getting rid of a guy like Hellebuck, but it just seems like I don't know, it just kind of seems like the writing is on the wall a little bit with Helly. I, I feel like you kind of see like What's going to happen next year? Like, what, we're just going to keep everyone and then we're just going to get no value for anyone? Like, something's got to happen here. You know, Jesse, you, you, you talk about the next one. You were cheering against the next one, Dominic Divincentis, the I know. 2022 seventh rounder for uh, North Bay Battalion. I know you've got yeah. connectivity to the Peterborough Pete, so you were, yeah. you were excited, but I did see some people saying, Jesse, how could you cheer against the future <laughs> of Jets goaltending? And I, I don't want to get into that one so much, although Dominic Divincentis, OHL goalie of the year, he, uh, he looks like a, a real deal for Jets fans a few years down the line. A few years down the line, though. We're not, yep. we're not talking about anytime soon. But uh, speaking of keeping it to junior and keeping it to Winnipeg, the Winnipeg Ice. I mean, I went to the game last night. It was my first game of the season. Uh, and they, of course, moved it over to Canada Life. Over 5,500 people were in attendance to watch the ice and the Se- Brad Lambert and the Seattle Thunderbird, uh, you know, do battle in the WHL Championship Series. Excellent game. Uh, but, you know, what are, what are your takeaways? Because I know you spent time with the ice. You made fun of uh, Connor Geeky's knob and, and <laughs> a lot of different things. And, and that's one of the things that's really you know, great about what you get to do is that you take people behind the scenes and you get, you create a more human element to teams. So you make, you make the Jets players more human because we don't see that a lot, right? We see a lot of very structured videos coming from the team. So when you get an opportunity to do what you do, whether it's with junior hockey, which obviously there's a lot more latitude or even NHL hockey, it it provides fans or even media uh, insight. I think that we don't normally see traditionally through the teams themselves. Thanks, Dave. Uh, yeah, it's I mean it's awesome. What's really great is that TSN has just partnered with the with the CHL, which we never had the rights to Sportsnet historically that has owned those rights. So I think it's really opened up a lot of avenues for what we can do with teams, players. I'm actually going to the Memorial Cup this year, which I'm really excited about. That's why I'm cheering so hard for the Winnipeg Ice as well. And it's just there's just something really special about junior hockey. Obviously, Jets, my squad, love them. But you know, you kind of see some of the dra- some of the drama that happened at the end of the Jets year, and it makes you think. Like for me, I I, I love the players. Don't get me wrong, but like I kind of and like I'll never be able to relate to like what they have to go through. But when I saw some of the comments that some Jets players are making, specifically by Wheeler, I was kind of a little like, give me a break. And these guys in junior hockey are so hungry to make it to where they want to be. They're so hungry to win in their league. They're so hungry to prove themselves. It's just so fun to be around these players. It's fun to watch these players being in those arenas. You feel it. You feel it's a different energy where, where there's just so much. There's like so much on the line. It's, it's hard to explain. So I got to go to an ice game when I was back. I got to go to a couple Jets games which was game three of the Jets Vegas series was the best hockey game I've ever been to in my life. Even though we lost, it was unbelievable. Shout out to Marty. Yeah. Yeah. Hell yeah. Hell yeah. Rocking that turtleneck. 
but then, you know, we got to go to a Winnipeg ice game a couple days later and it was just such a special experience. They were so, they're such a good team, great organization. And, and they just, uh, I don't know. I, I encourage everyone to go to Winnipeg ice games. They're so much fun. Junior hockey is amazing. I think it's, a, it's, uh, the, the talent specifically in the final, there's 17 NHL draft picks, not to mention, uh, what, what is it? Milich is Seattle's goalie. He was undrafted. And then, and then Zach Benson, obviously is going to be a top 10 pick. Like go to those games, everyone. They are a great time. You know, Jesse, you talked about, uh, you, you talked about Wheeler's comments and you didn't like them. And I don't think you're alone. And a lot of people didn't like him. And then there's the whole back and forth. And yet the team, the Jets, just seem to be willing to try and just push that all aside and start next year. You know, the roster won't be the same, or at least I don't expect it'll be the same. But there's, no, it's not like it's going to be torn down to its studs. I don't. That's just not the mo for the team. You know how 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 much lingering impact do you think that the comments? are going to have going into next season. I think that, you know, they'll, they'll all try and put a good face on it and say, well, you know, time, it heals all wounds and everything else. But from my perspective, that back and forth, which was so unprecedented and so unusual to see played out in front of cameras, it isn't something you can just sweep under the rug and say everything's hunky-dory and, and expect people aren't going to remember it and aren't going to point to it. Uh, you know, the next season, as soon as something goes bad again. Well, I, I think you're right. It was like a very strange way to see the season come to an end. I think right. clearly, clearly bonus felt that way for, and clearly a, a lot of fans felt the way that they were feeling for a long time. Mm -hmm. And, and I, again, it's so hard because I'm not a player and, and I think, Blake Wheeler as well, like needs to be viewed a little differently. Cause like, this is a guy who look at it from his perspective. He was a guy captain of the team for years. Then bonus comes in, decides that he's no longer fit to be the captain of the team. And then Blake Wheeler, I'd say held himself pretty well the whole year for the most part, given what happened. And then you know, obviously I think he kind of hit a boiling point probably with bonus where he's like, okay, like this is enough. Like you took the C away from me. Then you come in, you don't even address us as a team. I'm sure Blake Wheeler, like, I don't know. I'm sure he had some, maybe some negative feelings towards bonus. I don't know. I, like, I, I don't know. I wouldn't be surprised if he did. I think for the most part, Blake Wheeler handled the whole year with class, but there's another side of looking at it. It's just like, okay, man, like, Paul Maurice, who's doing great right now, good for him in Florida, didn't we didn't really see him hold his players accountable too too often. He's such a player's coach, and he, you know, kind of defending a lot of his guys usually. And then bonus comes in, holds Blake Wheeler accountable, who Blake Wheeler like seemed like he had a very good relationship with Paul Maurice. And then it's just like he just like complains about being held accountable. It's like instead of saying like I didn't like what bonus did, he could have just been like, you know what, Bones raised some good points. I think we probably could have discussed things internally, but we're going to listen to what he said and we're going to build on it for next year. Instead, it's like you could just sense this frustration from him. And it was just, it was a bizarre situation. And I, I love what Bonus did. I love that he called the players out. There was absolutely no effort from, from the players in the in game five. And they knew it. Uh, the players knew it. And there were some unfortunate injuries, but like the Jets kind of just, 
bonus expects more out of his players and they didn't deliver in the second half of the season. And like, that's the bottom line. And if you can't handle your coach, who's the real leader of the team calling you out like that, then like, come on, like get real here. Like just listen and build. You don't have to publicly complain about the way that your coach treated you. Like that's just to me as if I was a player and I got caught out by my coach like that, which I, I would have been like, okay, like whatever bone and bones can handle it differently, but it is what it is. Didn't have to like create further dialogue with the whole thing. I agree 100%. And that's what we talked about uh, last week, Jesse. And, you know, and after, especially after a couple of days, right? And you know those questions are coming. Just downplay it, right? Just say that, yeah, we didn't play well. Um, we understand why Bones was was frustrated. And I think a lot of fans were uh, wondering why players were showing more passion for what their coach said as opposed to more passion for winning game five, right? And 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 I wanted to transition because a lot of the, the focus is on the Jets' core four, right? Like, Everybody is wondering, you know, is Wheeler going to be moved? Is Dubois going to be moved? We talked about Hellebuck. Shifley is obviously the big one. But, you know, we're going to talk about this a little bit later. Um, you know, sent the guys yesterday, you know, uh, a topic for today's, today's show because a lot of people aren't talking about the Jets' RFAs. And obviously, you know, they're they're not all as significant as the next. But Dylan Sandberg and, and Morgan Barron are obviously the big ones. And I wanted to ask you about Sandberg because for me, he was, you know, right up there with Josh Morrissey in terms of, you know, one of the best stories of the year, right? Like this is his first full-time NHL season after spending a couple of years with the Moose. And I think you'd agree, like 24 years old, like he's a stud. Like I think you would agree that, you know, you could easily see him in your top four on the left side for, for many years to come, right? Nobody yeah. thinks he's going to be, you know, a 75-point defenseman or anything like that. I think he's probably, you know, going to max out around, you know, 25 to 35 points, something like that. But his strength is in his defensive play. So yeah. I guess the question I was going to ask you is like, I think a lot of people haven't been paying attention to this. I, I just think it's interesting in terms of would you offer him a, a longer-term contract versus a short-term contract? Because I think a lot of people would look at Sandberg and say, can you really give him a five- or six-year deal now? But to me, you would get a little bit more cost certainty. And if you already know that that you like Sandberg and you want him to be your property uh, you know, for a really long time, you know, why not sign a long-term deal? I guess just what 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 do you see happening with Sandberg? Do you see it being a short-term deal or would you have no problem giving him a, a longer-term deal considering that I think you probably know what you have in Sandberg at this point in his career? I can I completely agree. I, I think that RFAs often do want these bridge deals so they can prove themselves and then eventually get more money. Sorry, guys, I have to sneeze. <coughs> Harley, you're allergic to Harley? No, apparently, and the spring, the spring. Thank you. I might have another one coming because they usually come in twos. Um, I really, really like Dylan Sandberg. I thought specifically in the playoffs in that game three, despite the bad, but despite the unfortunate bounce that led to the Amadio goal, I thought he played very, very well. Given the Jets had to roll five D out the whole game, I think. I think the nice thing about Dylan Sandberg is that you don't notice him too, too much. He's just steady. He he doesn't really make too many mistakes. He has all the abilities to be a really good, uh, to be a great top four defenseman. I think if you could lock Sandberg down, like, what do you think we'd pay him a year? Like, th- three and a half to. F- four million dollars if you sign like, like a that. four or yeah. five year that's deal kind of, like that's what i was thinking you're not you're not talking about you know five million plus because obviously yeah. you've got morrissey and pionk making that type of money but yeah i think yeah. that's you're you're in the right neighborhood yeah i think i think if you could get him for four or five years at like three and a half that's like pretty good i think sandberg's only going to emerge and keep crunching those those top four minutes it's going to be interesting to see what happens with the jets blue line too there's definitely some weaknesses we have back there but i think he's a guy that you can really build around going forward and he's a guy you want to keep 
So yeah, I'd be, I would be open to giving him a longer term contract with, with, if it means that we're paying him a little less, because I don't know how much his value will necessarily increase over the next years. Cause as you said, I just kind of like know what you're getting with Sam Brick at this point, but he's a guy that I want on our blue line for sure. And he should feel encouraged about signing with the Jets because he'll get lots of opportunity to play in the coming years. Jesse, it was great. Uh, you know, he of course had two assists uh, in the win for yeah. Team USA over Finland, but it was for Jets fans like a throwback because it was Dennis Bayak and Brian Engblom yeah. on the on, doing the broadcast. I thought yeah. I was watching the Jets in 2012 all of a sudden, all over again. It was great to hear. It's always great to hear Dennis make a make a call. He's the best. And yes. uh, Brian and we Brian's a big you know of course a Winnipegger. We've had him on the show a million times. Love having him on. Uh, obviously covers the Tampa Bay Lightning now, but. It was kind of great to hear those two beauties, as we like to call them, uh, making those calls. And, you know, Jesse, I'm surprised you actually didn't have like a thanks for the 18th overall pick when the Leafs got eliminated and the Jets yeah. went from the 19th pick to the 18th. I thought maybe you'd throw in a little a little Jets torment to, to, add, to, your, uh, to add to your repertoire. I well, I can only torment so much. And, <laughs> and, 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 and also, like, it's just so nice to know, like, the Jets are going to get a bit of draft. Like, I mean, the, 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 all this stuff for the Leafs was for nothing. So I just I feel a great sense of relief in, uh, in that because I was I'm not gonna lie I was getting a little worried. Like if if Toronto played the way that they did last night for the whole series, it'd be a, a different series. The series wouldn't wouldn't be over. Mm-hmm. Um, but you know what? I feel like every year there seems to be an excuse for the Leafs. Every year it's something new, and like this year it's like oh we ran into a hot Bobrovsky, but it's like. What Matthews had no points in this series? Like what? I actually, just tweeted too. I can't, I can't believe yeah. that. I still, I still can't believe he had no points in the series. It's insane. It's insane. And even like, regardless of what's happening with the cap, because McDavid's obviously going to get a lot more money. But by the side, by the by the time Matthews signs, he will get more money than than McDavid. I'm sure, just because of what will happen with mm-hmm. in the coming years with the cap. But he shouldn't be paid a even even with the cap rising, he shouldn't be paid a cent more than McDavid because he has not done anything in the playoffs. If you're a Leafs fan, you're actually wondering, okay, well, we lost. At least that might help make the argument that Matthew's contract, he's not going to make as much money as he thinks he should. No way. I mean, someone might pay it, but like he, he shouldn't. Like, And that's the problem with the Leafs in the first place. They just gave a ton of money to these guys who hadn't done anything. They trusted everything in this in these kids who – has, haven't shown a thing about winning and it has not paid off. And you look at like the Tampa Bay lightning, what they did with like, I don't know. I feel like they've got some really good contracts on their team. Guys who know that like they can't take 11 million. They might have to take less than 10 million and they were able to win. So also, also helps when you don't yeah. pay tax. Yeah. It also helps when you don't pay tax. That's a, that's, that's a great right. point. But even, even the jets, like the jets have, have so many good contracts on their roster and it yep. just kind of sucks that we, haven't really taken that next step to maybe where we should, but I don't know. I, I tweeted too. If, if I'm the Chicago Blackhawks, I'm throwing the bag at Matthews next, next summer. Like if he becomes available somehow and the Leafs like, and he just wants to see what his options are kind of like a Tavares situation. I mean, Chicago makes sense. They've got tons of, they've, whether they can make a trade <laughs> or acquire them. They have a, they have a lot of good prospects. They have Connor Bedard on the way. Imagine having a one. It's it's a big city. It, it it would. I think I think Matthews would thrive in Chicago with Bedard. I think they've got a. They're building something huge there, and I don't know. I feel like especially Chicago, everything that what happened them scum. They're like pretty scummy. What happened with that 
franchise. Oh my goodness, did they ever luck out on getting Bedard? Because they they didn't deserve him, but they got him. And it just seems like, you know, they went through that really rough patch and obviously everything that happened with the organization is inexcusable. And it's like, now it's almost like we're moving on to a new stage with like Bedard and potentially other stars joining the team. Uh, Chicago, they, 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 they didn't deserve him. Sorry. They didn't deserve him. <laughs> it's okay. It was a good, that was a good little rant yeah, there. I appreciate yeah. it. Jesse Paul, yeah. our good friend, TSN bar down, made it out of uh, Maple Leaf square last night. Unscathed. Show us Harley one last time and then we'll let you go. She's, she's bundled up. Okay. Harley, then I don't want to disturb a sleeping dog. I know that rule. There you go. Yeah, Hi, Harley. Hey, Harley. She, uh, Italian greyhounds are an incredible breed. They're very cuddly. Uh, it's my girlfriend's dog. So just a reminder. It's not my dog, but she, yeah, she's, she's my other girlfriend. There you go. Jesse, <laughs> thanks, buddy. Have a great Saturday. Thanks, guys. You guys are beauties. Appreciate you, you having me. We'll do thanks, it again Jesse. real soon. There he goes. Jesse Pollock from TSN's Bar Down joining us this morning. We go to break and come back with more Jets talk, RFAs, Nemesnikov. Things of that nature. Up next, hour number two. You're watching the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Keeping Winnipeg laughing for over 30 years. Rumors, Canada's longest-running comedy club. Bringing you the biggest laughs from the best comedians on the planet. Jerry Seinfeld, Chris Rock, Jon Stewart, Dennis Miller, Brad Garrett, the greats, and all the up-and-comers, too. When was the last time you laughed out loud? Make it a great night out with friends or book your office or birthday party. Even a fundraising event at Rumors. Get all the details and dates on upcoming shows at RumorsComedyClub.com. Hi, Ez. A strange question for you. But why are you lying on the ground being crushed by a piano? Well, Drew, I definitely tried to carry this baby grand piano down the stairs by myself, and somehow I failed miserably. Right, right. Yeah, yeah. I'm sorry. That was a silly question on my part. My apologies. Would you like me to call Rolly's Transfer Moving and Storage to help you move the piano? They are the most experienced piano moving company in Winnipeg, after all. Yes, please call Rollies and hurry. This piano is very, very heavy. Rollies Transfer Moving and Storage offers stress-free residential moving services while taking great care of your personal belongings, including your piano. At Rollies, no job is too big or too small. For more information, visit rollies.com. Hi, it's Drew from Illegal Curve here. Selling your home can be stressful, but it wasn't for me. Thanks to my friends at Zapia Group Realty, they made the process so easy. My home sold within 48 hours and with multiple offers. Zapia Group Realty took care of everything with their exquisite customer service and attention to detail. If you want to sell your home for more in less time, get started by talking to Frank and Mauro Zapia of Zapia Group Realty. Online at zapiagroup.com. Hey, Drew. Ezzy, whoa, what a smile. Yeah, I got my crowns done at Linden Market Dental Center, and they whiten my teeth. I see. They're so bright that every time I smile, they go... We have hockey tonight. Do you have a mouth guard to protect those pearly whites? I sure do. Whoa, they even ting through the mouth guard. Linden Market Dental Center covers all your dental needs, from restorative to cosmetic dentistry, and will fit you with a sports guard for that active lifestyle. 877 Waverly. See LindenMarketDental.com. Boston Pizza harnessed Fanalytics to help optimize no-look dipping. Ooh, making adjustments so you can stay focused on the game. The playoffs at Boston Pizza, powered by Fanalytics. 
Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show starts now. Drew Mendel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg with you on this Saturday morning. Going to be talking about the Jets. Going to be joined by Adam Kimmelman of NHL.com at the bottom of the hour. Of course, nice to see so many of you in the chat if you haven't already done so. Smash the like button. Don't get Dave M. mad. He is not a good person when he is mad, let me tell you. Smash the like button. Subscribe to the YouTube channel. Subscribe to the podcast. Leave us some feedback here there and everywhere regarding Dave is actually one of the nicer people I've ever seen when he's mad he's a he's a very gentle person in general um you ever seen you on the the other hand Drew when you don't get your morning bagel Mm -hmm. I mean you turn into like the ultimate warrior yeah exactly I'm actually the inspiration for Mad Max Fury Road when I don't get my morning bagel it's a little known fact (laughs) that's a good uh, reference thank you I I lose my mind two men enter one man leave Yes, and as long as he gets his bagel, then I just sit quietly in the corner. That's that's you know that's that's my philosophy in life. Uh, I want to talk about uh, Vladislav Nemestikov. Obviously, for the Winnipeg Jets, he was an acquisition at the trade deadline that didn't really garner uh, a ton of attention uh, at when it happened. You know, he'd been bounced around the league a lot over the last number of years. Probably, you know, uh, the definition of of journeyman. He's a guy who, of course, is an unrestricted free agent at season's end. So he's now, you know, going to be able to explore his options. How much of a priority, from your estimation, gentlemen, should the Jets place on trying to get him back under contract for next year? For a team in the Jets that have for so long really searched for what I'll describe as bona fide bottom six NHL players, as opposed to sort of their throwing uh, what sticks at the wall and hoping it turns into a bottom six player. Nemesnikov, I don't think anybody would argue, is, is a bona fide NHL player. Played higher in the Jets lineup uh, the, you know, since uh, coming over at the trade deadline. How much of a priority should the Jets place on keeping Nemesnikov under contract for next year and maybe subsequent years after that, Ezzy? Yeah, it's. I think it's a good question, and I think it's something that you should put, you know, a certain degree of priority on. I, I, we obviously know that, you know, players like Pierre Luc Dubois and and Mark Scheifele and Blake Wheeler, the core four, Connor Hellebuck. I mean, those are the guys that, you know, are at the the center of the direction, uh, possible direction of of where the Jets are going to go, right? But mm-hmm. yeah, Nemesnikov, after being acquired at the trade deadline, was was a useful player, right? And you mentioned that he can play up into the top six. He and you know, when you consider that when Mark Shifley was moved to the wing, Dave, I mean, that you don't really have the option to do that if you don't have a player like Nemesnikov um, with the ability to play on the second line in the middle, right? So Nemesnikov is a guy that we know can play on the wing, can play up the middle. I mean, ideally, you know, if, if Cole Perfetti is healthy, I mean, you expect Perfetti to be on the wing in your top six. And that's something else that, you know, I'm sure we're going to talk about, you know, as we head into the summer here, like, is Cole Perfetti an option up the middle for the Jets? I think most people would say probably not right now. You would rather use him on the wing, but I think more so the question is, like, can Perfetti at some point in his career, boys, be a center? Because obviously he was a natural centerman, right? But back to Nemesnikov, I think, what was he making? 1.25 million, Drew? Something like that. Uh, I think we were throwing those numbers back and forth. So it was yeah, it was one point two five was uh, was uh, his contract, but I think there was a salary retention involved there. That's what the Jets had to pay him because his cap hit was actually two and a half million. Okay, so two and a half million. Yeah, is, he signed is... in Tampa last year in July for one year at two and a half million. Okay, so there you go. So two point five million dollars, and you would expect that to be very similar, right? Like I don't I don't know if uh, like. 
if you're Nemesnikov's agent, I obviously don't know who his agent is, but let's say that you're his, you know, his agent can't go in, you know, and negotiate, you know, a $1 million a year raise. I mean, I just don't, I see him being a guy that's probably going to be right around that salary, maybe a little bit more, but let's just say it's 2.5 million for the sake of the argument. You could have a player that you know exactly what you're getting, can play center, can play wing, and mm-hmm. can probably give you, you know, in between 30 and 40 points. And that's what you want uh, for a bottom six forward. So I do think, you know, he's a guy that the Jets should consider re-signing. I have no idea if they are going to re-sign him, but when you consider that players like Carson Kuhlman, Axel Janssen Fialbi, you know, Saku Manalainen, I mean, there's going to be turnover in the Jets' bottom six. You know, you wonder if he's a guy that you sign. And, and again, I don't think you're signing him to a five-year deal. He's 30 years old or or 29 years old. I think you'd probably be signing him to a one- or two-year deal, Dave. But I mm-hmm. think, you know, like, there, it, it's definitely something the Jets should consider. And, again, like I said, I have no idea if Nemestikov is going to be back as a Winnipeg Jet. But I do think he has um, some usefulness. Is he replaceable? Yeah, he's absolutely replaceable. But for a guy that can play center or wing, you know, can provide some offense. He's responsible defensively. Like he's a skilled player. He's Drew mentioned he's a journeyman, but there's a reason why you know uh, he was signed by the Lightning. I mean, the Lightning are not a joke organization. In fact, mm-hmm. they're a multiple Stanley Cup winner. So yeah, if you can get him on a, a year for two and a half million dollars, and he's a guy that can you know play on your third line, maybe even your fourth line, I think you definitely consider it. Well, I think as either I think the point you're making, or the point that one of the points I think is the fact that you need to have someone who has some flexibility, but you also have to keep in perspective that you're signing Nemestnikov not to be in your top six. You're right. signing Vladimir Nemestnikov to be ideally maybe being part of a, a third line that can score, which is what we've been talking about right. with his Jets team for so long. Lowry, Baron, Nemesnikov. What's wrong with that? Sure. You know, and then, and again, because the problem with the Jets is they've often had guys playing one level above because they don't have that organizational depth. Mm-hmm. So, you know, a guy like Nemestikov, sure, you sign him because he's 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 he's, uh, he's rep by Dan Milstein of Gold Star, so who seems to have all the Russian players. I was, that's the thing, Dave. I was thinking Milstein yeah, because he is. represents so many Russian players, but I yeah. obviously didn't know. So there you go. Yeah, and uh, I, lo- I had to look it up as just so I didn't. I didn't have that one uh, on the old brain, but uh, I checked it up courtesy of our friends at Puckpedia. But I will say that, like, yeah, no, I mean, he is the kind of player who – has a versatility. So if you do need a guy in a pinch to go up and play a game or two, you know, in the top six or at center, you know, whatever it is, mm-hmm. you know that he has that versatility. He seems to have, you know, meshed well here in Winnipeg. We know he's basically a North American style player. He's been here since he, I think since he was like 15 years old. So he's been pretty much half his life has been, you know, in North America. Yeah. Um, not that that really matters, but just, you know, whatever. It's a, another factor that he's comfortable over here. And and I could see him signing, you know, a, you know like you said, he, a guy like that at 30 is going to want some cost certainty. He's going to want some term certainty. So you would imagine he's probably, you know, with, with Tampa, you're more likely to sign a one-year deal. Maybe with the Jets, you can finagle a two-year deal. But the way his game plays, he doesn't play a heavy game. He doesn't play a hard game in the sense that it's not taxing on him. And so, I, again, I don't know about his durability through the course of his career in terms of injuries and that sort of thing. But he's usually pretty. I mean, you know, uh, you know, this year he played seventy-seven games. He played fifty-seven with Tampa, twenty with the Jets, not including the playoffs. Last year he played seventy-five games. Right. You know, yeah. so he, you know, for the you know, you know, the uh, nineteen twenty maybe he played a, a little less game, but he's generally. You know, he's generally been pretty healthy and been a pretty consistent presence in the lineups of the teams that he that he's played for. 
And no, I would say, exactly. guys, sorry, Drew, I was going to say that, or, pardon me, Dave, I, I think one of the things that, one of the reasons I think, you know, as you guys know, the reason why he's moved around a little bit yeah. is because of that that lack of offense. And, and he's been known to go through, you know, mm-hmm. five to 15 game stretches where he's not providing offense. We talked about it. He's not a 60 point guy. He's more of a 30 to 35 point guy yeah. if he's if that at this point in his career, right? His but he's career a good... high as 44 back in uh, 17, right. 18 with right. Tampa when he had 20 goals and 24 assists. Right. And, and I'm not saying that he can't get to that level again. I'm just saying, like, I don't think you're necessarily expecting him to be a 20, 45 point guy. Like, if no. you're expecting him to be a kind of 20 to 30 point guy on your third line. And I, I think with Morgan Barron, too, this ties in nicely with, with Morgan Barron, who we talked, um, we talked to Jesse Pollock about Barron. I think I think are you not looking to to sign Baron longer term? Like I think a bridge contract is absolutely a possibility here, but like I think it's nice to know that you have, you know, the certainty of a guy like Baron and a certainty with a guy like Nemestikov. And and there's going to be opportunities for some young players to make the lineup next year. And we don't know what's going to happen with Shifley or Dubois. But um I just think Nemestikov's an interesting one. Like well, we said, he's replaceable. But it's not there's not there's not a lot of guys that you know thirty year old guys that you can get for two point five million dollars a year that can play center or wing on your third line, right. but also can play on your second line and be like not just not just be like a uh, a place filler. He's actually a very talented player. So I think you know it's it's an interesting. It'll be interesting to see what happens with him. I would argue that the best versions of the Jets have had a guy who is sort of that Swiss Army knife who's able to play up and down your lineup. You know, you look back, you know, a guy like Michael Froelich, if you want to go, you know, a number of years. Or Matty Perot. Matty Perot. And the Jets, you know, Nemesnikov could sort of fit in that in that sort of a mold of those kind of guys, not necessarily playing the same style of game, but playing that if he's in your bottom of your lineup, you're comfortable with him there. You're not trying to pound a, you know, a, a round peg into a square hole, playing him in the bottom of the lineup. And then should the injury bug bite, or should you need to change things up for whatever reason, you know, maybe you can elevate him in your lineup a little bit and, and play him with in, in, in a higher role, not long-term, not for 82 games. You're not pencil him in as one of your top six and saying, well, we're done with that for the rest of the year, you know, but a guy who can move up and down your lineup can play in a lot of different roles, can play in a lot of different uh, situations. The Jets haven't had a guy like that as of late. And I mean, you know, I, I look at what a team like Seattle is doing where they don't have any superstar forwards or anything. They certainly Mm -hmm. don't. They have a, but they have a bunch of, NHL regulars three, in their three, lineup. They're the, the prototypical three second line team. Right. Something like that. Or you look at what Carolina's doing, you know, with, I mean, all of their stars are out of their lineup and you look at how they're sort of performing. I think the Jets need more balance and mm-hmm. certainly more contribution and more NHL caliber, no questions about it, players in the bottom of their lineup. And the Mesnikov, in my estimation, would be one of those guys. He's not a tweener. He's not a guy that you're grabbing off waivers. No offense to Axel Janssen Fialbi, that you're grabbing and hoping that he's going to uh, play 82 games and and develop into an NHL regular. He's not a Carson Kuhlman where you're trying to see, you know, if you can squeeze uh, NHL regular minutes out of a guy who probably belongs at an AHL level, things like that. The Mesnikov is an NHL player. I don't think anybody would argue with that. And that's what the Jets need more of, particularly in the bottom of their lineup. And they're getting it, you know, Morgan Barron is developing, you know. And so I think the Mesnikov just makes a lot of sense for this team 
um, no matter what else happens this offseason. Because, I mean, he's a small piece of the puzzle, and he's mm-hmm. not the big headline marquee decision that needs to be made. But acquiring him, I think, would certainly be a, a – you're not going to regret acquiring him or re-signing him because you're not going to have to pay him that much money. And, you know, it's not going to be a five-year deal that you're signing him to. I think you're probably giving him there, two years. Yeah, one or two for a, sure. Yeah. Maybe a third year if you really desperately want to keep him. But it's certainly that would be uh, at, the, at the lengthier end of a contract for him. Yeah, no, I mean, I think I think ultimately what you're saying is you want to see that, that there's going to – look, hockey isn't basketball right? Like mm-hmm. basketball, LeBron James can do what he does. And the Lakers who were a team that didn't look like they were going to make the playoffs can now be uh, potentially going to the NBA finals. So you, you could have, yeah. you know, that in basketball. So you're not Hawk- you're saying the jets aren't the dream team, Dave. Well, no, but I'm saying run, like, look, Dave, you're saying you can't run six guys. You can't have a six yeah, or no, seven man joking. bench in that yeah. or six or yeah. seven man roster. And that's it. Right. Yeah. There's no, exactly. there's no super teams in the NHL. No. And, and look, you look what happens when you front load your, your teams, right? I mean, look, the, the, the Oilers are on the ropes right now because they, they're, you know, look, uh, we, we all agree Ekholm was a, was an amazing addition for that, for that club. You know, we know we got hurt a little bit in yesterday's game. Came what a back in game four, Dave. Oh my God. Unbelievable. But we know that, you know, he came back and got hurt. I think in the second period, came back, played the third, but the fact is that, you know, I mean, and, and that goal David scored yesterday was, was absolutely beyond ridiculous. I mean, but it's not even beyond ridiculous anymore from, because it happens every game. I it mean, doesn't that, matter. That's, but that's I, the crazy part about yeah, it. I know no, what I you're agree. saying, but that's the but crazy I'm saying, part. I'm, McDavid, I'm that, McDavid is a cheat code. I, what I'm suggesting though, is you're right. I think that that's, I think ultimately that's the way you need to be able to build your roster is to have a, like, if you can't have, you know, because the problem is like everyone can say, Oh, you need a bonafide top center, right? Mark Shifley. Mark Shifley has been hurt almost every playoffs for the Jets or suspended. So the fact of the matter is that, you know, you don't have Mark Shifley in the playoffs when you need him. So it's great that he scored 42 regular season goals. Who cares? What does that do for you in the playoffs? Nothing. So my point is that when you're going to have Mark Shifley's contract is going to go up, obviously not next year, but the year after. Pierre-Luc Dubois is looking for major money. All your money is going to be sucked up. And again, you're going to run into the same sort of issue and Connor Hellebuck. So you're going to have a dearth of depth and that to me is 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 screaming to be a problem you've got some young prospects coming up the system daniel torgeson you know nikita kucherov, nikita kucherov Henry plays for the jets uh uh chipperkov oh my chipperkov. god dave and breaking news here folks <laughs> the point is you've got some young pieces who are with the moose the moose are gonna be a younger team next year they're gonna be those guys for the large large part will be with the moose so Brad Lambert, Chaz Lucius, those guys are going to play a much bigger role on, on the moose next year. That's right. Look, so, I, I don't what, know that Lambert might not have a role on the jets next year. Lambert might be in Seattle next year, guys. I mean, like we, there's, there's lots of, there's lots of question marks as to what's going to, what will, will be uh, for next year. Mm-hmm. I'm just seeing that. You play the game. Where will Brad Lambert play? <laughs> well, we could do that, but I just think that, you know, the problem for the jets is if you're going to load up, you're, you're leaving your, look at Toronto, right? They've got all their money tied into four guys. And, and it, it, again, I think it, that's going to change by the way. I, I I don't see how, how do you, if Kyle Dubas is still the GM, by the way, but uh, I don't think that's out of the, the question. I'm not saying that, you know, there's going to be a change there, yeah. but there has to be, does there like, aren't there similarities? And that's what we didn't get into Dave with, with Jesse. Right. I mean, I think there are similarities between the Jets and the Leafs, right. With their cores, no, different I cores, think right. Cause the they don't core is, at least core is a lot better. <laughs> Well, uh, I would agree with that, but and they obviously, you know, they don't have Connor Hellebuck, right? right? But when you're talking about Tavares and, and Matthews and Marner and Nylander, I mean, that core 
hasn't got it done in the playoffs, right? right? Like, yes, they got out of the first round this year, but I mean, I think it's time to move on from that core. So I think there's going to be big moves in Toronto, just like there, we expect there to be big moves here, Dave. Yeah. And and again, like I said, I, I just think that you have to be very cautious because you have to be realistic. And I think the problem with the jets in terms of the way development worked is that if you remember, you know, in the courtesy of the 15 draft, they had all these forwards who were ready, but they didn't have, they had a lot of veteran D they didn't have a lot of developmental D prospects. Now it's the other way around where a lot of their prospects are defensemen, not that many forward prospects. And you're looking at an absence of forwards and a lot of defensemen. Like the problem is ultimately we're talking about, that's why it comes back to this whole idea of asset management is the idea that, you know, if you don't think Leon Gavanke is going to be able to play on the right side of your, in your organization, then trade him. You know, if you don't think Johnny Kovacevic is going to play in, again, even if you get draft, draft picks back, but, but the reality for this, for this club is like, you just don't have those horses that are going to be ready to go when your club is ready to go. So the timelines are never quite syncing up for this, for this team. And so ultimately, like I said, now we're talking about what are you going to do? Like Billy Hainola is still waiver exam next year, much to his chagrin. But again, like I said, I, I really do encourage people because I, again, I don't know if it was a year of maturity, but I, the, the, the tenor you of the paraphrase, co- maybe what he said. Well, I, yeah. Okay. The tenor of his conversation was like, I'm going to work my ass off. Like there's no excuses. And I, like, I even kind of gave him one a little bit when I said, you know, do you feel like similar to Dylan Sandberg, if you had a bit of runway and people have to remember, right? Dylan Sandberg is a 2017 second rounder who just became a full-time NHLer, right? Villanola is a 2019 first rounder. So there's, there's some years there, even though obviously he was playing pro in Liga, but I'm just saying that, you know, we always have this guys have to play in the NHL right away. Now, again, his, his contract works against them. I'm just saying that, yeah, the tenor of his, of his thing was, I'm going to work my ass off. He's going to work on his speed. He's going to work on some strength. But it, the idea being, I'm going to do what I need to do in order for them not to be able to send me down. I'm going to win, I'm I'm win a spot on the back end and I'm going to force their hand. That's right. Exactly. And and I, and then ultimately, like I said, what, what you have to look at it as, you know, the Jets team saying, okay, well, now you've got Logan Stanley, who obviously, you know, requested a trade, doesn't want to be here. You know, um, here, I'll just read the two quotes from Billy Hainola. On the path to becoming an everyday NHLer, I feel like the biggest part of me is getting my strength up, being able to battle there. Of course, getting faster so I can handle the speed. There's really only one, there's really one thing I want to focus on is getting my speed up, on developing mental toughness. For me, I just try to take it daily. When you can go to bed and say, I worked hard today. I gave everything. You can't give anything more. I feel like that's part of the mental part. And then as to his summer plans, work hard as I can. From my mindset, just going to give everything this summer. Not even think about anything else. Just working hard. Then it's come here and show that. So I mean that if you're if you're if you're a Jets fan and you hear Billy Hainola talking like that, that's really good. You want him to go and have a really good summer, and you want him to come here. I guess my overarching point is is that the Jets are going to have a lot of question marks at forward. They're going to have a lot of defensive players. They're going to have a lot of question marks at forward. And to well, me, that's that's the that yeah. again speaks to that organizational depth. Well, and 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 you would know this better than anybody, Dave. I think you would agree. Declan Chisholm is probably more NHL ready than Vili Hanela is at this point, even though Hanela was a first round pick as opposed to Chisholm, who wasn't right. But I think you know, you know, maybe I think Hanela is a guy that training camp is is probably going to be you know more important. Uh, for him than a lot of players, right? Like yep. if he has a really good training camp and a really good preseason, he can make the Jets opening night roster. But I think there's a lot of 
you know, Jets fans that they they look at, you know, what he's done at the NHL level. And every time he makes one mistake, it's like, okay, back down to the AHL, right? And you're right. He, I mean, he's performed near a point per game pace uh, at the American Hockey League level. It's just a matter of time before he makes the NHL. But I think with Morrissey and Samberg and, and Dylan on the left side, and then you throw in Chisholm, you made a good point earlier. The Jets have more depth on defense on the left side. It's it's not even close. Mm-hmm. Um, it's a big, uh, I think, organizational weakness right now that they don't really have. I mean, you mentioned Simon Lundmark, Tyrell Bauer, but you know, all due respect to those guys. I mean, they're at least a couple of years away, right? Yeah. I don't know if Tyrell Bauer is even a guy that has a, a future in the NHL, right? I think you'd agree that you know he's more of a if he makes the NHL, it's a third pairing kind yep, of depth absolutely. role as opposed to Lundmark, who's more skilled, and you know maybe you could say his Dylan DeMello ask if you will. Yeah, there you go. So, I mean, I think, you know, Hainola is an interesting one. I think, you know, he's going to play NHL games for sure. Um, but I, I just don't know if he's necessarily, you know, some some Jets fans, I think, think he should be a lock for the top six next year. Um, I just don't think that's the case. And, and you have to step back and be like, okay, yep, he's only 22 years old. Um, it wasn't until 24 that Dylan Sandberg really established himself as an NHL defenseman. But for sure, Hainola is a guy that's going to be really interesting to watch um, throughout training camp, just because he has so much skill, and and you know that once he puts it all together, uh, he's going to be a really good defenseman at at the NHL level. But I think you know you still just have to be patient with him. More Jets talk to come on this Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. We'll head to break and bring in Adam Kimmelman of NHL.com. Stay with us, Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg. The Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on. Hour number two of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show rolls on on this Saturday morning. Drew Mandel, Dave Manuk, Ezra Ginsberg. Overseas, Nikolai Ehlers is putting Team Denmark on his back. They they are up 2-0 over Hungary, noted hockey powerhouse Hungary. Both goals coming off the stick of Nikolai Ehlers. So he's off to a good start in the World Hockey Championships. Looks odd, though. He's wearing number 24 and just doesn't fit right to me. We're so used to him wearing 27, but in any event, a good start to the double IHF World Hockey Championships for the Jets winger. Pleased to welcome to the program from NHL.com. Very familiar with the upcoming NHL draft and all that is going on in the city of brotherly love, Philadelphia. Adam Kimmelman joins us on the show. Adam, good morning. I'm wearing orange, Adam, just for you. Oh, thank you. It looks good on you. Yeah, that, it really brings out the the red in Ezzy's <laughs> eyes, I find. Uh, the uh, That orange does. Adam, good to see you this morning. How are things? Things are good. It's uh, very eventful here in Phil- the uh, Philadelphia area, so uh, it's a good time. Yes, it's never a dull moment usually with the Flyers. Over the course of the years that we've been doing this program, the Flyers are always usually pretty good for some sort of news, whether we're going way back, it's Dry Island with Jeff Carter and Mike Richards or whatever the uh, the topic of the day might be. The Flyers make news, and they made news this week in bringing a whole new regime and sort of uh, removing the interim from the Danny Briere's title as general manager and a bit of a, you know, at least I didn't see this coming, and you're more tied into the Flyers, of course, than I am, Adam. Keith Jones being named president of the organization. Uh, let's start with that one. Why Keith Jones to get the Flyers uh, back on track after so many years of missteps? Well, I think if you've watched hockey at any point on a national basis in the last 20 years, you've heard Keith's analysis. You know how smart a person he is. As far as breaking down plays, breaking down players, knowing what works, what doesn't. So the hockey acumen is obvious. And the the attitude that he brings, you know, the Flyers very much stressed 
having things be very collaborative and very transparent between the hockey operations side and business side. And as far as making sure the messaging coming out of the, the front office is equal and spread and obvious and everybody knows it and it's positive because they do need to win back some of the fan base after the last couple of seasons. If you watch games, their attendance was very soft. There were a lot of nights where the fans just didn't come out. That's where you have the advantage of having someone like Keith Jones, who is a popular presence in Philadelphia, has been going back to his playing days in the late 90s, you know, whether it's Flyers broadcast, whether it's doing a, the, the most popular morning sports talk radio show for, gosh, at least 10 years. You know, he is a known commodity in the community. He's a, he, he's a really smart hockey person. And it's going to be, you know, as surprising as it was, I can see the logic behind making this decision to make Keith Jones in this role. You know, Adam, our good friend Anthony Sanfilippo, who's covered the Flyers for many years, I'm sure you're you're familiar with with Anthony as well. You know, he wrote an article for CrossingBroad.com a number of months ago, sort of just sort of that highlighted the insular nature of the Flyers and their recent hiring practices. Not even recent, going back a number of decades, I would argue, their hiring practices. Was this a time where the Flyers needed to sort of go outside the family and bring somebody in. I've seen some criticism to that effect online that this was the time to not hire somebody uh, that is so familiar with the Flyers organization. You know, I, I've read that countless times over the years, more so recently, that, you know, the Flyers can only hire people who have Flyers connections. And, you know, yeah, the, the guys who they just hired are former Flyers, but that shouldn't stain them, I don't think, in any way. Just because Keith Jones played three seasons for the Flyers and has worked for them as a broadcaster, does that make him any less of a smart hockey person? Danny Breer played six years, seven years with the Flyers. You know, this is a guy with a degree from Wharton, you know, the University of Pennsylvania, Ivy League educated. So he played for the Flyers. I don't know how much of a, you know, this, everybody wants to kind of focus on the, this constant existence of the Broad Street Bullies era and, and everybody has some sort of relationship to Bobby Clark. That So if you didn't play with Clark or work with Clark or know Clark, you can't work for the Flyers. It, it's, it's nonsense. Just because these guys wore the Flyer jersey does not paint them in that same light. These are smart guys, hockey-educated guys, and I think it, it, it almost works to their advantage because – they have a passion for making the organization, hoping the organization succeeds because they're invested in it. I don't think the fact that, you know, they're stuck in some archaic de definition of what hockey should look like just because they wore a Flyers jersey. I, I, I don't agree with that narrative at all. Fair enough. And, and Adam, I wanted to ask you about, like, Looking forward, because I think, you know, you would agree and most Flyers fans would agree that was a very disappointing season, not making the playoffs. I don't know, you know, how many people expected them to make the playoffs, especially with how good the Eastern Conference was this year. But when you look at the Flyers, you've got the seventh overall pick coming up. And we want to ask you about the upcoming 2023 NHL draft, because obviously it's going to be a very exciting draft with a lot of good players. The Jets now will be picking, what is it, 16th? No, 18th overall. 18th overall. There we go. It was 19th or 18th overall, but now we know it's 18th overall. But, you, you know, I look at the Flyers and you've got some exciting young prospects like Cutter Gauthier, who was amazing. I think you'd agree for Boston College this this past season. But 
what what is priority number one for Keith Jones and, and Daniel Briere and, and this new regime? Because obviously, you know, you could look up and down this Flyers roster, and I think you would agree there's there's a lot of holes everywhere. Well, there are, and and the draft is the main point of focus right now, starting with the combine coming up here the last the, the first week of June, and then going down to Nashville for the draft. They have the number seven pick, and it's a a, a pick they can't get wrong. You know, there it, it's an incredibly talented crop of players, especially forward, especially skilled forwards, and that's what they need to add into the organization at all levels is more skill. And you mentioned Cutter Gautier, and you saw you know, the kind of season he had at college, and he'll be back for another season at college this year. Uh, I'm sorry, next season. Um, you saw what Tyson Forrester did in the brief time he came up to the Flyers, adding that element of skill, the, the, the strong shot. They need more players like that to come into the organization. Whatever direction they go with number seven, they have to hit it. And that's sort of been the, the marching order now since, you know, once it was pretty obvious that they were going to finish near the bottom of the standings. And Certainly they hope to move up and, and Connor Bedard would have certainly changed the plans moving forward, but <laughs> well, for sure. But you know, where they are at number seven, I think they have the chance to get a really, really good player who's going to be a foundational piece for them when they get back to being playoff contenders. You know, Adam, we are a Manitoba based show. So I'm going to quickly just revert back. Cause you mentioned Bobby Clark and of course he's from Flin Flon. So I just want to ask you quickly, we know he was like a senior advisor. Has his role changed in Philadelphia or will he still kind of maintain that role within the organization? Well, I, I think, you know, I think people had sort of an outsized, outsized view of what exactly Bobby Clark's role was under Chuck Fletcher's leadership. I think Bob was there, <clears throat> excuse me, just as a, as someone to lean on, Bob was not setting policy or dictating moves, nor was Paul Holmgren, nor was Bill Barber. You know, I know those names also came up a lot. They were there if Chuck had a question. If he said, hey, this is what I'm seeing. You guys who are Hall of Famers, Stanley Cup champions, guys who have built teams, built successful teams, what are you seeing? What do you think? And then Chuck would, you know, take their opinion under advisement, as he should, because they're smart hockey people, and make his decisions based on that with his level of experience. And I'm sure Danny's going to be the same way. You know, if you've got assets, use them, but you don't have to necessarily rely on them 100% of the time. And Danny's going to have his own people that he trusts that he's going to want to bring in, that he's going to be able to try to lean on to give him advice. Say, Hey, I'm seeing this. What are you guys seeing? And, and at the end of the day though, Danny Breer has to make the decisions. It's his job to make those determinations on what the roster is going to look like and what decisions are going to be made as far as, you know, hirings, firings, trading, signings, you know, scouting department, development department, however he wants to build it, it is 100% his thing now. And he has to make those decisions. And he can have as many advisors as he wants, but he has to be the ultimate decision maker. Adam Kimmelman of NHL.com, our guest on the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Saturday morning, we're live on our YouTube channel and all of our social media platforms. Adam sort of shifting focus a little bit to the NHL draft after the draft lottery came out earlier this week. You and your colleague, Mike Morreale of NHL.com, came out with a mock draft uh, after, you know, the the 
Blackhawks obviously win the Connor Bedard sweepstakes. Not going to ask you a Connor Bedard related question. <laughs> Seems unnecessary. But that second spot, you both, you and Mike Morreale both had Adam Fantilli there uh, going second overall to the Anaheim Ducks. How much consideration did you give to somebody else other than Fantilli? We know some of the other names that have been talked about. Uh, Leo Carlson, of course, comes to mind uh, out of Sweden. But was it, or was it sort of, uh, it was a Bedard and Fantilli, no questions asked for that second spot? I can't speak for Mike, but I know for myself, there was as little hesitation as I had at putting Connor Bedard at number one. I had just about the same little amount of, of decision making to put Adam Fantilli at number two. In, you know, if you go back and you look at last year's draft, I think if, Fant- if Fantilli was part of that cohort, I think he would have been the number one pick. The way he was able to dominate NCAA hockey as an 18-year-old, you know, that's a – NCAA hockey, for whatever you want to say about it, it's a weekend league. You know, it's also a 20-year-old league. Mm-hmm. And he walked in there as an 18-year-old and was, was the best player on one of the three or four best teams in the country – led all NCAA players in scoring, tied for the lead in goals, mm-hmm. was a dominant player. And he brings in and he brings NHL ready size at six foot two and 195 pounds. The one thing Connor Bedard, interestingly enough, does not have. So when you look at, at all the, the benefits to what an Adam Fantilli could potentially bring to your organization, and this is saying something in a very strong crop, to me, he was no doubt about the second best player available. Adam, I wanted to ask you about Zach Benson, because obviously we're a Winnipeg-based show. Dave M. was at game one yesterday of the WHL final between the Seattle Thunderbirds and, and the Winnipeg Ice. As you know, Benson led the ice in, in scoring, which is impressive, considering they've got, you know, Matthew Savoy and, and Connor Geeky and, and so many others. Like, And maybe this ties into the Flyers at number seven. Like, if, if the Flyers are able to, like, if he's still there at number seven, is there any, any way that the Flyers pass up on Zach Benson? Well, I mean... To me, yes, and if you look at my mock draft on NHL.com, I had them taking Oliver Moore in that from the U.S. national team in that spot. But again, Benson is part of that group with Moore, with Ryan Leonard and Gabe Perot from the U.S. national team program. You know, Dalibor Dvorsky from the from the uh, AIK in Sweden, Edmund Schala from from Brno in the Czech Republic, as part of that group of of really extremely talented, high skill, high end forwards with huge ceilings guys who can be top line players that you can build your offense around you know and you mentioned Benson on a team with two first round picks in in uh Connor Geeky and and Matt Savoy led them in scoring was probably one of if not their best player in the playoffs he's got a work ethic that you know sort of reminds me a little bit of a Brendan Gallagher you know just a guy who isn't really big but he's feisty and he'll get to the front of the net and fight for his spots and score when he gets there. So I like Benson, but you know, again, there's so little separation once you get past Bedard and Fantilli of that next group. And it's going to be a really like every team's going to have it in a different way. And, and some teams could have him four or five. Some could have him nine, 10, but I, I think Zach Benson is a top 10 talent for this draft. Where he goes, that's going to be the fun when we get to Nashville. Let me tell you, I watched him yesterday, Adam. He is a phenomenal young man, and uh, his motor doesn't 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 stop. The second best player probably in the WHL this season led, you know, kicked off game one with a breakaway chance, didn't score, but you could see his his desire to get to that net and uh, and be the guy. Zach Benson is going to be a heck of a player in the NHL one day. You know, just I know you're you're 
mock draft that you guys did went to 16. We know the Jets are going to be drafting in the 18th spot, courtesy of the Panthers knocking off the Leafs yesterday. Who would you see the Jets uh, picking in that spot? Like, who do you see as a, a guy who, you know, not necessarily one guy, but a number of players who could fall in that range that could be a target of the Winnipeg Jets? Well, I think there's so many outstanding forwards. You know, a guy like Colby Barlow could be something they're looking for. Just a, a high-end goal scorer, a guy who's a, a volume shooter, who, you know, probably still needs to work on his skating a little bit, but a guy who looks like he can be a real you know, big time goal producer, you know, Andrew Crystal playing out in Kelowna is another guy that I've really liked. He's got that chip on his shoulder that he plays with that feistiness that, you know, can really, you've seen it with Matthew Kachuk and the Florida Panthers. When you bring that certain attitude, that certain element to a locker room, it can sort of invigorate and spread in a positive way. I think Andrew Crystal could be that kind of player. So there's a few, there are a lot of guys out there. If they look on the defensive side, you know, a guy like Lucas Dragasavic is someone who could still be available for them. You know, Etienne Moran, uh, defensive from Moncton in the Quebec League. You know, Dragasavic, I really like just the times I've watched him just on video. The offensive head for the game is really, really top end to me. I love the way he moves the puck. There are some elements in his game that need improvement, certainly on the defensive side. Um, but to me, what I've seen on the offensive side of it, he's a really, he looks like he's going to be a really good player. And if he can fill out the other parts of his game, I think he has a chance to be a special player. A couple more for you, Adam, then we'll let you get on with your Saturday. Medvey Michkov over playing in the KHL played for Sochi, made a real impact. His contract status, he's under contract in the KHL for a number of years still until the end of 2025, 26, if I'm not mistaken. Do you think that's going to impact his 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 spot in this in this draft? Or are teams prepared to let him just do his seasoning overseas and they'll get him to North America whenever they do? I think every team's going to have the he is going to be the most difficult decision for every team outside of uh, Chicago and Anaheim. I think because <laughs> if you look at raw skill, he might be the second or third most skilled player in this draft. But the factor of the contract and where he's playing leads to some questions. So, you know, I compare it to Kirill Kaprizov. When Minnesota drafted him, they had to wait five years. It was the third general manager in Minnesota who got him. Chuck Fletcher picked him. Paul Fenton went in and out there. And now Bill Guerin gets the benefit from it. So to me, it, it you have to be able to say, okay, we're going to take this top, say, five pick. And we're going to put it away and we're not going to see it for at least four years. And we're going to have to continue to build knowing hopefully by 26, 27, this guy's going to be able to come over. So I don't know. There are some managers who are going to say, we can't wait that long. Our window is a little bit narrower, like a team like the Columbus Blue Jackets. You have Johnny Gaudreau would have two years left on his contract, I believe, by the time uh, Mitchkov comes over in 26, Patrick Line would be out of contract. So those are your two biggest players, your two most valuable guys that you, you'd almost would be using up the best years of their career. They need someone who's a little bit more flexible and able to come over. So to me, when I was looking at it, Leo Carlson seems like a better option for them because he can come over as an 18 year old, step right into their lineup and be a really good player for them. Mitchkov, I don't know if they have the patience to wait. 
Maybe they do. Maybe I'm wrong. But that's sort of how I looked at it, and that's how it played out in my mock draft at least. So other teams might be more willing to say, hey, we have the patience. That's why I have him at number five, the Montreal, because they've assembled this group of, of nice young players, Suzuki and Caulfield and, and Slavkovsky and Doc, and, and those guys sort of might be gelling into contender status when Mitch Cobb would be ready to come over at 26 at age 22, and he almost becomes, instead of that high-end free agent piece, like a Johnny Gaudreau with Columbus, you get him on an entry-level contract for high-end production at low value. So I, I think to me that's what was my thinking, at least having him go to Montreal at number five. But I think he is going to be – there might be more discussion about him than any other player in the top ten of this draft. It's very interesting. And last question for you, Adam. Obviously, you know, there aren't going to be, you know, any Manitoban players taken as high as last year with Connor Geeky and, and Denton Matejcik. Carson Bjarnason, goaltender – for the Brandon Weekings from Carberry, Manitoba. Um, he's the top-ranked North American goaltender for NHL Central Scouting. And I'll admit, I don't know uh, anything about any top-ranked European goaltenders. I'm not sure if you have uh, any European goaltenders ranked higher than Bjarnason. Uh, is Bjarnason a guy that you see kind of being more of a, a second-round pick? And, and what's kind of stood out to you uh, about Bjarnason uh, this season with the Wheaties? Well, I, I think the fact that he was a really good goalie, athletic, big, everything you want to see in a goalie, even though Brandon didn't really have a very good season this year. You know, and I think, you know, we talk about goalies being sort of a different breed. He's a guy just from getting to know him the little bit that I have, smart kid, good head for the game. You know, he's got some interesting hobbies. He's a musician. He designs his own pad. So there's a lot to like about Bjarnason on the ice. There's a lot to like about him off the ice because to me, no matter who it is, goalie, forward, defenseman, you're looking to bring in good people as much as you are good players to your locker room. Like we've all covered hockey. We've all seen what it looks like when the room maybe isn't working the way it should be, when attitudes are a little bit different, when guys are maybe not all leaning the same way. You are talking to a Winnipeg-based hockey show after all. Well, yeah, that's sort of (laughs) the direction I was heading. But at the same time, we've seen what happens when it does go the right way. Mm -hmm. And you can have a lot more – it's a lot easier to have success when everybody's able and willing to trust each other and pull the rope the right way. To me, Carson Bjarnason seems like as good of a goalie he is, he seems like a good person and someone that you'd want to add to your locker room. So – I don't know if he's a first round pick. My guess would be if he does, it would be somewhere after pick number 20, but I'm fairly confident he will be the first goalie selected this year in the draft where we'll find out when we get to Nashville. Adam Kimmelman is with NHL.com. He'll be leading up the draft coverage from now until the time we all gather in Nashville for revelry and certainly no alcoholic beverages whatsoever. <laughs> Adam, thanks so much for joining us this morning. Have a great rest of your Saturday. We'll talk again real See you soon. on Broadway, Adam. Absolutely. Thanks, guys. See you soon. There he goes, Adam Kimmelman, joining us on the program this morning. One Are we going to the draft? Is that, a, is that an option this year? Because I have some air miles. You have air miles, but if you go to the draft, Ezzy, I'm strongly going to suspect that Naomi's going to tell you, don't bother coming home because the locks will be changed and the divorce proceedings will be in the mailbox. Exactly. 
yeah, there you go. As long as you're aware of that, that's the important part. That's the the, the crucial part of the whole thing. But we will have, of course, in-depth draft coverage uh, leading up to the big event in Nashville uh, at the end of June and then free agency starting a couple days later. And if I'm not mistaken, free agency will be on a Saturday. I believe Canada Day is a Saturday this uh, this July. So we will have, of you course... You think they would change it? I hate that. I hate that they do it on Canada Day. Of course, they would never do it I on think, the Fourth of July. No, it's so disrespectful to me that they do yeah. it on Canada Day. I actually just drives me absolutely bonkers that it, it just shows such disregard for for Canada Day to to have the free agency on, on July first. I think it's terrible, uh, especially because you know the idea that you know well Canadians are just going to stay at home uh, you know, and watch no, it, and watch free it's agency. Ar- it's Fair arrogance, enough. of course, but yeah. I mean, yeah, do it the day before. I don't care when you do it. Just don't do it. It's, it's, they do used to play, I remember the Jets and the Oilers a couple of years ago played uh, on Thanksgiving, mm-hmm. on, on Canadian Thanksgiving. They, they, played a, they played a game. And I'm thinking to myself, you don't play any hockey games on American Thanksgiving. The only sport that plays on American Thanksgiving is, of course, the NFL. Yeah, but Canadian you know, Thanksgiving you know, is like, you know matter. that's true. I mean, you're yeah, but it's Thanksgiving doesn't have the same importance. You know that it's bigger. It's way bigger in the U.S. than it is here. Like I always look at like I don't I don't I don't even think growing up our family really did anything on on Thanksgiving. I, I don't know. Maybe that's just we me, didn't. But. No, we didn't either. But I mean, I Drew's point is we, we, again it does, oh, the overarching I mean, point is the fact that again the NHL does what's fine for the states. They don't do. Oh yeah, there's no, there's no doubt, Dave. That that's more geared towards the U.S. Yeah, I just think, I just think it's disrespectful. I think it's, it's a day to to honor our country, and it should be focused on that and being with family, not, uh, not covering uh, the NHL. Having said that, I will be wherever uh, I need to be covering the NHL. So see you later, family. Having said that, stay tuned to the Illegal Curve Hockey Show free agency preview. (laughs) (laughs) exactly right i mean the reason i mean i think the reason why we didn't do a lot of big thanksgiving things largely is because it falls usually so close to the jewish high holidays so you've done a lot of family things right before right around them but for a lot of other people here like i don't know i think for a lot of other families it is as that's i mean i think it's growing in importance is what i'm saying but i agree it's the disrespectful side of things if you wouldn't do it for the american uh you know hockey audience you shouldn't do it for the canadian hockey audience is what it boils down to but again most of my protestations why don't we just why don't we just celebrate thanksgiving with the u.s like i don't understand why we just don't do that well i mean i think they're i mean i'm not really sure about the exact reason for it but uh there's a lot of canadians who certainly have adopted u.s thanksgiving as an important day on the calendar that's the real thanksgiving let's be honest here well no it's not it's just the you know when you sleep the, next real to the elephant everything seems Laura, bigger when it happens definitely in the US. Agree with me what's that Laura will definitely agree with well, me. Laura American Thanksgiving with... is the real Thanksgiving. Well, she would agree with you. As, I'm a proud Canadian, American. but let's be honest here. But Laura's I mean, American, so yes. We're talking I mean... about, like, the Canadian Thanksgiving is checkers, and the American Thanksgiving is chess. Well, I, I mean, it's not, it's not anyways. All right, Drew, move on. You've already, Drew, you've lost this conversation. What other holidays can we talk about? What else? You know, I'm sure we can find other holidays. I want to talk about Kevin Stenland, though. That's what I wanted to talk about. We've sort of touched on a few of the RFAs uh, for the Winnipeg Jets so far this year. Are these sort of the... pending UFA or RFA? RFA is a pending okay. RFA. Uh, a Manaline, and I'm thinking of as a UFA. Manaline is a UFA, and I don't expect that there's going to be a huge push on re-signing Saku Manaline. And I could be wrong. Maybe they, the organization likes him uh, for depth or for penalty killing or whatever it is. But you he's know... a good penalty killer. But you're not getting a lot of offense from Saku. 
you are not getting a lot of uh, offense out of him. But Kevin Stenland sort of an interesting player because he was a guy that got signed, of course, out of the, the he was with the Blue Jackets organization. He came in and despite the you know the similarities and how he looks to Blake Wheeler, which was certainly uh, a good sort of uh, training camp uh, chuckleathon. He came in and he played a, a, a significant role for this Winnipeg Jets team. I would say an unexpected significant role, uh, you know, sort of anchoring that fourth line center role that the, everyone sort of thought was going to go to David Gustafson. It didn't due to injury and other circumstances. But Stenland came in and played 54 games uh, for the Winnipeg Jets this year. He played all five games in the playoffs as well. You know, again, RFA, so it's not like it's going to cost you an arm and a leg to keep him. But do you think that there's a role for Kevin Stenland moving forward with this Winnipeg Jets team? There is, and and I want Dave M to to get in here because I, the the only problem that I have is is if you bring back Stenland, how does that affect David Gustafson? Right, like, and and we saw that this year, right? I think Dave would agree. You know, Gustafson, it's not ideal you know, that he's a healthy scratch for extended period of time. It's not like he was a healthy scratch for 50 games or anything like that, but I, I think it did create a bit of a, an issue by squeezing Gustafson out, right, Dave? So that's the only thing with me, like, like, how, like if you're signing Stenland, like, like, first off, do you, do you have a replacement for him already? And I would say yes, and that I just mentioned who that is. It's David Gustafson, who's obviously younger and who has a much higher, higher ceiling. Gus Bus struggled this year, right? Did, I don't even remember if he ended up scoring a goal or not. I don't think he did. I don't uh, think he did. But I, I think, you know, everybody would agree that he has a very bright future if he does remain a member of the Jets. So I, I, I would lean towards more bringing, you know, a Nemestikov back as opposed to Stenland. But, I mean, Stenland, look, he, he wins face-offs. He kills penalties. You know, he can chip in a little bit of offense. He's not going to cost you a lot, as Drew mentioned, right? So uh, Stenland's an interesting one. But I, I just... I worry a little bit, Dave, if, you know, if he kind of pushes Gustafson a little bit to the side, right? I think you ideally want Gustafson playing up the middle, right, Dave? Yeah, no, I don't think there's any question. And I think you're right, uh, Drew. I mean, as, but you know, the one thing I was going to say about uh, Stanlin, he had a good attitude. I remember when he came down and was assigned to the Moose and I, you know, I talked to him about just maintaining, uh, you know, a commitment. And he just said, look, they're here, they're watching me. You know, you never know when I'm going to get that call up to go back in the lineup. He got the call back up and he earned a spot and, and Rick bonus trusted him and Rick bonus liked him in that role as fourth line center. And so he, he maintained it for the remainder of the season. And it was partly because he came down to the AHL and, and continued to play with a good attitude and, and ensure that, you know, he didn't level off his, or his game didn't deteriorate because he was upset because he was playing in the American hockey league. So, yeah, I mean, it, it is an interesting predicament i i think that some of these you know i think as i think the greater point that you're making or the one i'm thinking of is the fact that it, it's essentially creating some interesting training camp battles for for this upcoming season right is is will david gustafson who admit to me yeah he could be a fourth line center you know you want him to have a little produce a little bit of offense obviously not be a complete black hole but he's very good on the penalty kill he's good at face-offs for the most part and so he's responsible and so would you would you entrust him or do you want to allow you know Stenland to have that role? I mean again like I said if you move him to the wing what kind of fourth line are you creating? And now the reality is to me is you're creating a fourth line that would at least be defensively responsible, which is of course what you want. But you know we've often talked as you know having a fourth line with identity. And what is the identity of your fourth line um for this Jets club? And and you look at some of the look at look at some of the teams that are currently in the NHL playoffs and and the depth they have into that fourth line where they can 
be defensively responsible and score goals. Not a ton of goals, but they can still produce occasionally. And I think that's that's obviously the model the Jets have. And I think it's kind of the basic tenor of this conversation we've had throughout the course of this morning, right? Is the fact that you just want to see things shift down a bit so the Jets don't necessarily have to rely on guys like the Coolmans who don't necessarily produce. You want to be able to have some guys who can who can be defensively responsible and produce occasionally on that fourth line, not have those guys be your third line guys or second line guys. You need to have that filter down. So, so to me, that'll be the the interesting sort of situation for this Jets club is you know those those sorts of training camp battles and and how it plays out for you know all across the lineup. It's not just you're right, as it's not just about what's happening on the first line or the second line. The fourth line is is just sometimes just as important. Yeah, and, and going back to what you know, Drew mentioned, you know, asking you know what we see happening with Stenlin. I think you know he he's much more valuable than than Manalainen. And I, I think if your your fourth line is includes Stenland and and Gustafson, it's going to be a fourth line. I just wonder about the lack of offense, right? Because mm-hmm. you're going Gustafson. I don't think Dave anybody expects to be a seventy five point guy at the NHL level, uh, <laughs> but you also got to chip in some offense, right? That's right. And yeah. and he is going to score his first NHL goal eventually right like it's gonna uh, no he already hasn't any no he hasn't he remember he beat he beat Car- right. uh, Eric Carlson yeah. what I meant in that was, San Jose game right yeah. what I meant is the goals will eventually come for him he's yeah. a good young he didn't have player one this year, right though. but I think that is definitely something that you have to look at in your your bottom two lines like yes Adam Lowry started to come on towards the end of the season you know Morgan Barron you expect his point totals to go up next year um and Stenland's not going to cost you much like what are we talking about one year one million something like that, two years, two million. Like, he's not a guy, no, like, he's not that's what you want. You want players like that. And I think, you know, when you when you consider last, you know, whatever it was, July, when the Jets announced that they signed Stanley and Manaline, and I don't think, you know, many Jets fans had super high expectations for either of those two players. So for a guy like Stenland, who you probably thought was going to play most of the year with the Moose, the fact that he played most of the year with the Jets, you know, he was a useful player. So I could easily see the Jets bringing Stenland back. But, but when you're talking about Manaline Carson Kuhlman, Janssen Fialbi. I, I, I just, I don't know how many of those guys, if any of those guys are coming back. Well, and as you got to look at Jansen Harkins, right? I mean, he had a phenomenal season in the AHL. He he really reestablished his, his scoring touch at the American Hockey League level. He's under contract with the Winnipeg Jets for another year. Again, will not clear waivers. Mm-hmm. Again, it becomes asset management. You know, he obviously wasn't, he, he didn't show it, but he obviously wasn't pleased about being in the American Hockey League level. We talked to him, you'll see that. I think uh, that end of season media availability was uh, will be out, I think, on Monday. But, you know, again, he didn't allow it to affect his attitude on the ice. And you saw it. I mean, the guy produced, right? 25 goals, 25 assists, 50 points in like 40-something games for Manitoba. So, you know, is there a role for Jansen Harkins for on this Jets club? I mean, he clearly didn't have a lot of favor with Rick Bonus, But, you know, I mean, Mikey Esimont, we talked about him. So this team has to figure out what they're going to do in terms of their assets. You spend the time developing these assets. Are you going to give them the opportunity to play? If you're not going to give them the opportunity to play, don't let other teams pick them off for free. Trade them away. Even if you get some draft capital back, at least do something. Because again, the Declan Chisholm's, the, the Jansen Harkins, they're not passing through waivers next year. You know, they've they've done enough that they, some team is going to say, I'll take a flyer on this guy. Worst case scenario, I get him in my lineup for a bit. doesn't work out. I throw him back on waivers. We either put him back into the AHL or he ends up, you know, being an NHL guy. So that to me is is the big question about this Jets club That's, is is using the ones that, yeah. the things that you developed as assets for your for your team. Just wanted to quickly say, Drew, I think you know those two players. It's good that you bring up Jansen Harkins because I think you'd agree. You know, at his stage of his career, he's too good for the AHL, right? Like, what more can Jansen Harkins prove 
at the the AHL. And I think that will be telling, right? If the Jets do bring back Kevin Stenlin, that probably means that Harkins is not part of the future. You know, he's just another one of the the litany of question marks surrounding this team. And we know the headline guys, but there's still many guys who are sort of on that tier below that uh, their futures will need to be uh, discussed and, and, and figured out over the next few months. And I'm just gonna say, I was work. just I was just gonna add like look it's it's incumbent on Jansen Harkins to have a great summer like he needs to come it's similar to Vili yeah. Hainola what Vili Hainola said to me on Monday Jansen Harkins has to embody that as well he has to have a good summer he has to be ready to go and if he's ready to go and he earns himself a spot in the training camp then he's earned himself a, like again what you did for me yesterday no longer yeah. counts right. I mean that works for certain guys right that works for the guys who are making salaries north of five. So the reality is like a guy like Neil Pionk, even if he's not playing well, he doesn't come out because he's a salaried guy, you know, and that's just the reality. People can pretend it's anything other than that, but that's just, but when you're a guy who's not in that realm, you have to work your ass off. And so for Jansen Harkins, this summer is going to be hugely important because again, he had a very good season in the American Hockey League, but he's going to have to translate that into a very good summer of training and say to the Jets, listen, you're either going to play me or I'm going to play somewhere else. Or, I mean, look, the Jets could always trade him at the trade deadline. I'm not saying otherwise. But the fact of the matter is he, it's really incumbent on him to, to take what he was able to do this year and translate it into a really good summer uh, training and then uh, see what he's able to do for the 23-24 season. We and last keep- last word, Drew, because I know it's we're already over time, but last word because I think we'd be remiss if we didn't we'd met, touch on it because we didn't. I thought we were going to get to it. But uh, five days ago, uh, Brian Little, of course, the Jets – uh, you know, leader here for many years was inducted into the Cambridge Sports Hall of Fame and said he would like to end his career as a member of the Winnipeg Jets. Now, that's something that won't matter until July, as he because he still got another year of his deal that's uh, with Arizona after the Jets traded it there in 21. But I just thought it was a nice comment and it just showed the outpouring of, of uh, love that Brian Little, I mean, again, there's two people now I, I've noticed on our Instagram, the Illegal Curve Instagram, follow us if you're not that if I post anything about them, the, it just goes to like, I, I, I immediately like the phone goes and I have like 150 likes before it's even. You should post what Brian minutes. Little had for lunch today. See how I many was, likes you got. I will see. But number one, of course, on that list is Dustin Bufflin. Brian Little, pretty, pretty close. Number two. I think I posted that he said he wanted to retire as a member of the Winnipeg Jets. And I think it was like, 1300 likes on the Leo curve Instagram, which is, which is the big number. So um, what know, a look, shame I, the way his, his career ended, right? Like for sure. The, it, it just, it still, it still bothers me. And I think a lot of people because of how good of a career he had with the jets, right, Dave. So yeah. I think, you know, it's, it's good that you brought that up because I think it would be just, it would be fitting. It would be, I think that would be the right way for him to end a, end his career. Not, well, not even though he had a great, great uh, career with the coyotes as well. Um, obviously I'm joking. He never played a single game, but I think it just makes a lot of sense for him to end his career as a jet. Well, and, it, and it, it's, it, sorry, Drew quickly. It's, it's effective July 1st, of, you know, next year is when his contract's up. 2024. So he, yeah. 2024. So he'll basically be able to sign a D and you know what the reality is this organization, it's a no freaking brainer because what you do is you have him sign, you do a night to honor him. And let me tell you, that's a, that's just a win across the board because as you're seeing in the, in the, in the chat, and, and if you love Brian Little, smash that like button I'm, for everybody who's listening to us right yeah. now, smash the like button. But look, I mean, he was, he was always, he always um, uh, served the community well, and he was a nice guy to deal with and, uh, and he was a fan favorite. So uh, you're right. As it was, it was tough to see him go out the way he did back in November of 2019 against your New Jersey devils. But uh, again, he's still, he's still uh, well-regarded uh, amongst these parts uh, by fans and media like. 
There you go. That's it for this Saturday morning edition of the Illegal Curve Hockey Show. Big thanks to Jesse Pollock. Big thanks to Adam Kimmelman for joining us. In case you missed any of those interviews, they're available on the immediate replay or on the podcast edition of the show. Big thanks to our sponsors. They make the Saturday show, the post-game show, and the website a possibility. Our friends at Rumors Restaurant and, and Comedy Club, Linden Market Dental Center, Zapia Group Realty, Betway, Tough Duck, Boston Pizza, Seagram's, Rollies Transfer, Grid Park, and The Keg support these fine businesses because of their continued support of illegal curve hockey. Big thanks to everybody for joining us this morning. If you haven't already done so, smash the like button, subscribe to the YouTube channel, subscribe to the podcast, rate us, review us, leave us some feedback. We always like to know what you think about our fine programming. Whatever you have in store for this upcoming weekend, please do it safely. We'll Huge meet you back here. kid's birthday coming up at 2 o'clock for me, Drew. There you go. As he's going to go enjoy a kid's birthday party, whatever you have in store, remember, IllegalCurve.com all throughout the week is updated as necessary I'm and about to go update it right every now every morning exactly dave i'm doing it right now and we'll be back next saturday morning with more of the illegal curve hockey show for dave manuk for ezra ginsburg i'm your host drew mandel if it's saturday it's the illegal curve hockey show thanks for listening to this broadcast from illegal curve hockey for more great illegal curve content subscribe to the illegal curve youtube channel Follow at Illegal Curve on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram, and visit your online home for hockey in Winnipeg, IllegalCurve.com.